From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 140. My name is Simon Forster and we're not joined by Johnny Sisson um, as he's had to go on a Leica reprogramming event. Uh, but we do have Perry G. Hello, Perry. Hello. And we have a guest. And we were going to have this guest anyway, but now that Pe- uh, now that Johnny can't be with us, he's going to sort of sit in um, Johnny's seat. Uh, and it's somebody that we've had on the show on a number of occasions, and he's guest hosted with us as well. So uh, we've we've got a good person to be here this week, and that's Anil Mystery. Hello, Anil. Hello, folks. Great to have you back again. Thank you. Is this yeah. is this episode four with you now? I haven't been keeping track actually. I think it is a fourth time. Sounds yeah, yeah. feels I, familiar. Yeah, I can't so. remember the last time though exactly. I I don't know if it was last year. I think it may have been the year before. Yeah, we do try to f- try to want to forget about last year as best we <laughs> yeah. can. Anyway, I mean, we yeah, we, we, we funnily enough, we we asked Perry earlier on uh, about what happened last time you were on because I have no recollection of it and you haven't. And uh, Perry reminded us it was something about strapping webcams to our chests or at least to your chest, and going out and doing street photography with one. Yeah. Close, close. (laughs) Well, it was minutes ago since you last told me, so my my memory is actually starting to fade already. It's like a Sony RX-0 through a scarf, but that's kind of like a webcam on your chest. I think think it was about actually attaching it to a fake broken arm, like a spy, (laughs) so that I could get really close up to people and they wouldn't suspect there was a camera embedded in it, so I could get some Mm -hmm. really, really close shots. But I haven't tried it, and um, I haven't been arrested for trying it, so that's all good. Prosthetic cam. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Right. Okay. Well, uh, this week uh, we well we've got shed loads of emails, and uh, but before we do that, and we we won't get through all the emails, um, but we'll do a our best to do as many as we can um, but i think it'd be really good to have a catch-up uh with with anil uh, to see what he's been up to since he was last trying to or not actually going out with a uh, prosthetic camera um, so uh what have you been up to well uh, well i think everyone will agree with me last year was bloody awful this year hasn't started so well but um yeah last year was strange for me because my sort of main day job um <coughs> just my industry um essentially died as a result of the uh, the lockdowns um so i'd come up with ideas for live events and do sort of live brand experiences and stuff like that and that just fell to pieces so my income dropped massively um you know week to week i wasn't sure what was going on and then you know i had a period of like something like eight or nine weeks where i had zero uh, work at all um and uh, the lovely government in the UK hardly helped me at all. Um, so I was just sort of stuck in this weird situation where I didn't have money coming in. I had to keep myself busy. Um, so I started to, I think one of the challenges last year was I, I shot a lot less film. Um, but actually, the year started off, the middle of the last year, I decided to finally develop about 22 rolls of film that I'd had sat there. Um and it was a shock. And jokingly on Twitter, I sort of worked out that it was something like over 700 photographs. And I said, I bet about 70 of them are half decent. And that worked out about right. There were so, so many crappy shots on there. And just, just the, the cost of getting those roles developed and scanned. Yeah, well, um, I was going to say 10, 10% isn't bad, is it? That's, a, that's, yeah. a, that's pretty good, really. 
Yeah, I just realised because, you know, normally when I'm commuting in and out of London, I, I'll, I'll take a camera in with me and I'm just shooting in the in-between bits on my commute. And a lot of the time, my, my mind is half half engaged in shooting or not really focusing. So um, they were just some real, real crap there. I'm sure I'll find a way of doing something with them one day, but there were some really bad shots. But that coinciding with the lockdown and just the cost of shooting film meant that last year I, I shot a lot a lot more digital i've just been going out and to keep my mind busy um just walking i mean i was walking and i still am you know between seven and 18 miles a day when i'm not working damn get out yeah and keep busy and just keep my mind and my body I, i'm i'm not good when i've got nothing to do mm. i just end up worrying about stuff and stressing i like to be busy and creative um so i started going out a lot and shooting a hell of a lot and then um, as the weather got warmer, I live on a beach. So um, thankfully, you know, we had that. So let me literally, I'm talking about 70 metres as the crow flies from my front door is the, the seafront. Um, it's two streets back from where I live. So I started going in the water and I found this uh, crappy little holiday Fuji, water, Fuji cam, um, waterproof camera that we'd bought. I mean, it, it was about seven or eight years old. Uh, I remember I bought it. We went to Turkey with the kids years ago um, and we just messed around the swimming pool with it. And I thought I'd start taking that in the sea. And it became a project uh, because we, we had a bit of a heat wave last year, if you remember, um, Simon. And I was go get going in the sea about four times a day just to cool off and taking the camera with me. And it became a really interesting project because this camera, I mean, the, the, the quality of the image, it's, it's essentially probably about a 12 me megapixel mobile phone basically um but it's waterproof and as the light changes the sea changes its mood all the time the sea is constantly doing something different a slight change in weather a cloud comes over the sun the wind comes up the colors the light it, it's just beautiful so playing with this camera and just going under the water and shooting with a flash and all sorts i end up with this really nice set of photos and um on Instagram, there, there, I, I noticed there was a call for images to enter this, um, not a competition, there, there was a call for images, basically, uh, by a photographer called Rankin, uh, who's a very famous uh, fashion photographer. And um, it turned out he was making a, a TV show called uh, Rankin's 2020 uh, for Sky Arts, uh, where they were just getting photographs uh, that people had been taking during lockdown. Uh, and talking about the stories behind them. So I entered a bunch of pictures, and uh, two of them were actually chosen and shortlisted. And uh, two of them ended up in the TV show, um, and one of them ended up in the book. So they actually published a book, and I've got a two-page spread with one of my pictures and the story behind it. So that was a really nice thing that happened photography-wise for me. And it's, uh, Weirdly, it's, it's, it's worth just talking about that photograph as well, because, I mean, I, I haven't got it in, in front of me at the moment, but I can remember it pretty damn well. And it, there's, a, there's like a huge splash in the, in the photograph, yeah. the light coming through, and it's, it's, it's just an absolutely wonderful photo. Yeah, I was lying on my back in the sea uh, and just floating, and the sun was going down. And I was just splashing, I was sort of backpedaling with my feet and it was sending splashes up and I took a shot of this, the setting sun through the splash. So it had this lovely distorted look, but then also there were drops of water on the lens, mm -hmm. which then further distorted what was being seen. And then because the flash went off, 
there were some some areas that were very blurred and abstract but then there were some areas of just droplets of water caught in just perfect clarity in sort of frozen times so it was just a really surreal picture um so this yeah this thing ended up in a book and so it was a really nice thing so there were two episodes of the tv show uh with, with my pictures in and then uh, i got the book last week um so that was a, a nice thing that happened in the year but essentially i i was just doing a lot of uh going out with my dslr shooting some film uh but for cost reasons and i think a lot of people would be able to identify with that is, is shooting more digital because it's you know you can do what you want with a memory card and delete it if you like if there's crap on there but the other thing i started doing was actually going through over five years of photographs on my drives and as well as my film um scans starting to look at all my digital work um as you know, when you know you get better each year with grading shots and learning how to do things, software gets better, and you learn new tricks. So I started readdressing and looking at photographs um, I'd taken and just reworking them, and that was really nice. It was just a, quite a nice memorial journey because you f- totally forget all this stuff you shoot, and it's just sat there, and to pull it out again and see it. Um, was lovely but then that, that sort of made me realize that um oh that was the other thing that, that happened last year annoyingly just before all the lockdowns began in march um i bought a professional printer so i've got an epson p600 a3 pigment ink museum quality archival quality all that stuff uh printer uh which does lovely prints and i thought i'm going to start selling prints and start doing some shows and then lockdown happened so mm-hmm. all those plans just died uh, but with now, you know, starting to relook at my pictures and having a printer for the sort of physical output, it spurred me on to start just thinking of print again. Um, so I, what, I, I think because I live near Brighton, it's about seven miles away from where I live. I, I thought, you know, essentially, I, I literally have thousands of photographs that I've taken on the streets of Brighton. And I thought it was maybe time to do a book. Um, so I, I started going through all these shots, editing them, editing them down, seeing what worked, what didn't. I mean, and um, I ended up uh, making a book, uh, which went into print um, about, well, weirdly, this is just the second, tomorrow will be the first, the second week it's been in print. Um, and it's doing really well. So I, I uh, made 100 copies. And I'm rubbish at housekeeping and things, and I'm rubbish at doing all the fulfillment. Uh, I can't bear it. You know, it's one thing is printing a book and getting it out there. But if you're serious about trying to sell books and get them into people's hands, every single order has to be dealt with personally. And I hate all that. So I thought I'm going to see if I can find a partner, someone I can work with and set, you know, sign the book, send them to them and start to build a relationship um, so um, there's a little brand, um, a company called Fistful of Books, who sort of specialise, I suppose, in, it's not all, all British photographers, but it's sort of British documentary and street photography. Uh, and I'd bought some of their books in the past. Um, there's some really, really interesting ones. Uh, there's a photographer there called John Bolton, um, and I think he's based in Bolton or Bradford. And there's a couple of books I bought of his. One was called Shabash, which was just documenting a Muslim cricket club uh, up in uh, Bradford or Bolton. Just a really nice piece of documentary. And the other one was called Gladiators. And I think he'd been to Thailand and photographed cockfights. 
But these things are shot, I, I don't know if they shot, shot with film or digital, but they're just glorious, just black and white, very regal photographs of these cockerels and just that, that whole world, which is very different. And the whole thing about Fistful of Books is their books are very affordable, but they're genuinely interesting. And I thought it'd be really nice to sort of get on that website. So I, I got in touch with uh, the guy, Simon Robinson, and we had a chat. Um, and we said, let's give this a try. So I, I printed 100 books. Um, I signed them all and then sent them to him. Um, and they've been selling really well. Uh, they've been selling as far as India, um, Australia, and people all over the place have got a copy. And I think in terms of, I've made books before, but in terms of a creative challenge, this one was difficult because I've got so many favorite photographs mm. uh, that I've taken in Brighton over the last five years, I mean, and literally thousands of them. And to try and get them down into a book uh, was difficult and also to try and make a book that's affordable as well it's easy to make an enormous large book but also I think I've found that you start to fill a book with too much stuff it sort of, it detracts and takes away from individual shots so it's better to have some real killers in there I've got, I've got no to, filler I've got to I've got to say having spoke through the process of what's in front of me at the moment was um, I, I have a copy of the book in front of me and you've made me so much more comfortable and happier about the fact that this just wasn't just what you did last year. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, this is five years worth of work, and I'm really pleased about that because I'm thinking, damn, this is good. He's just gone out there and absolutely killed it. But uh, yeah, five years that makes me feel a whole lot better. So <laughs> yeah, th there's a few from this year, um, last year, but um, yeah, this is over five years. I mean, Brighton Pride, the um, festival they have every year is, is sort of legendary in Brighton it's full of so many great characters and so many interesting things going on and I've been sort of religiously capturing that over the years so I, I, there's, I, I had a lot to choose from and it was a challenge so just trying to edit it down and to sort of work out what needed to go in the book and what didn't but also the mood um, I was tempted you know do you go colour or black and white Brighton is a very colourful city but there's something about especially with photo books. I've done books with colour and black and white, but there's something about black and white I keep coming back to. It just really makes you just think about the, the core of the shot. It lets your eye be drawn to the tonality of things and it brings things into sharp focus and it just pulls away distraction. And there are shots that I think would have looked good in colour, but I, that, yeah, I, I think black and white really suits what I wanted in this book. Also, Brighton is, you know, it's it's a very young city and there's lots of energy, but I was trying to capture not just sort of, you know, Martin Parr style seaside moments that are quirky, but it, it's architecturally, Brighton's really interesting. And I wanted this sort of sense of a timeless feel as well. Uh, and so sort of, I suppose quite poignant and black and white works really well for that. Right. Um, and, and given that, given that these are photographs shot over a number of years, um, obviously when you shot them, it, you wouldn't have had in mind putting them together in a book. So to, to, to me, that makes a lot of sense because to get a visual consistency with a body of color work is challenging in and of itself, right? But to yeah. do it as a sort of um, retrospective exercise uh, would either require some some very you know heavy-handed uh color grading for consistency um which might take away from the shots or uh or, or you just sort of have to sacrifice that you know unified aesthetic right absolutely and i i think one of the nice things is even though there's such a diversity of shots 
uh, in the book. The you know the fact that they're all shot in and around Brighton um, gives them that same kind of underlying you know slightly quirky and um, just interesting vibe. So the, the aesthetic choice makes total sense. Yeah. Also, I, I have a, a there's a thing I think I've talked about it before with street photography. I hate I try to avoid overt technology it sounds weird um i try to avoid shots of adverts that sort of give a sense of a particular year or anything or mm-hmm. uh, in particular i really try to avoid pictures of people using mobile phones because I, I just find them deeply annoying mm-hmm. and though they are a part of the times we live in i just think there's more interesting things to find when you can and for me a lot of the challenge is to find images that look and feel timeless in one way or another and that's what i've really right. strived to do in this in this book uh but brighton's great because it, it's by the sea you have great light you also have the, the just the physicality you have wind you have you know that th- there's energy sort of in the air um and lovely architecture as well and just quirky shops and people so that yeah the battle really was just bringing it down to it's it's a 56 page book a5 book um just a number of shots I, th- I do think at some point there'll probably be a sequel to this book and it could be that or maybe i go the other way and go into color you know just for a, a total change of mood um but yeah. i think this first time around black and white did it but the hardest bit with with books is just hitting hitting the print button and hitting go because i just not knowing if you got uh, the previous book i'd made i had a little error design error in it and it really bugged me bugged the shit out of me because knowing that it's on every book i'm wondering if people noticed it or picked it up uh but this one's come out perfectly so i'm really really pleased <laughs> yeah you gotta you gotta embrace the wabi sabi <laughs> but not wabi crappy <laughs> I, 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 yeah i want that to come out in the uh in the photographs and uh, not in the uh, actual publishing Mm, right, right. That makes sense. <laughs> it's 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 interesting that you've not not used used the. I mean, this is not a word that we particularly use on this show because we don't tend to talk about this kind of thing. But uh, zine. I do, yeah. For, I mean, for me, the word zine makes me is more. I, I relate that to the sort of. Uh, I suppose the size of the format A five is a zine like, but for me, a zine is something a little bit more photocopied and punk in spirit um you know rough and ready uh, i want i like des- i'm a designer by trade and i'm a creative so i like things to feel good mm. so I, I took a lot of time in thinking about the quality of the finish of the cover and the getting the weight of the paper right i wanted to, this to feel of substantial and of quality if yeah. that makes sense uh and to just do justice to the images because I've, I've just learned through doing books in the past which paper stocks work better and what in a tactile sense works because I want this thing to last. I don't want it to feel like something that ends up just in a cupboard somewhere. I want it, people to put it with their books, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And, and it, it's, yeah, it is a photo book. There's no, uh, no two ways about it. Although that, that said though, I think that again, going, going back to that word zine, I think you've uh, it, it described exactly what zine means in, in, in my head. Um, but really, I, I, it's a long time since I've seen anybody actually produce a zine in in that way. Yeah, they, they, they do seem to be. A, yeah, the quality is, is generally yeah much much higher. Yet they still call it a zine. Yeah, I mean the, the print print quality now and digital you know print to order is becoming so good um, that it is getting easy to to make things um, and get them out there and get them published. I think. In terms of using the word zine, uh, there's one thing I wanted to keep, which was a, a sort of a reasonable price point. 
because um, that is a challenge as well. You make a book, mm. you want it to sell, uh, you don't want to lose money, uh, you want to make it worth your while, but you've got to find an area where you know people don't feel they're getting screwed. So uh, I'd like to think the price, which is t- is just ten pounds, is zine like. Um, but equally, you know, if it was five pounds, I think I'd be doing myself an injustice. I, I just want yeah. this thing to feel, you know, and and also. Basically, the, the, if this thing is deliberately 56 pages, if it was 57 pages, I'd, I would have had to go up to another level of print with a, um, <laughs> a harder spine and this, that and the other. Um, so that helps as well. It just helps help, help me to keep the price point down. And it's just the thing you learn as you sort of work with a printer, yeah. um, what works and what doesn't. So I feel I've got that down now and I've worked out, you know, the InDesign template that works really well uh, with all the trims and the gutters and everything sorted out. So each subsequent book becomes easier and I can be a bit more adventurous. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's, there's a, I mean, I, I, I trailered this week's show in a, in a, in a manner, uh, by using, um, sort of one of your photographs, uh, from this. And it's the, um, I don't, I, I can't remember the name of the painting. Um, but it's the, um, uh, but there's a painting in a bottle. Well, it's actually a print. It's not, it's certainly not the original one. Um, yeah, it's Johan Vermeer's um, Girl with a Pearl Earring. That's it, yeah. Yeah, very f- iconic uh, picture. Um, and it was great. I was walking around in Brighton because everyone's so middle class and lovely. And they like to show <laughs> show show off how cultural they are. Um, you walk around the area called Hove and during lockdown, all the houses, they'd had cardboard boxes outside with things that they were just giving away. And they're all full of, you know, British Film Institute, uh, classic films and <laughs> posh books and things. Um, and um, that, that, that was a box and it had these little pictures in uh, and it was all very arty. And I, I'm sure half of it is people aren't just giving it away. They just want to show how, cult- <laughs> how cultured they are. <laughs> Look at my junk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, no, no copies of Playboy in there. Sadly, it's just all sort of artistic stuff. But yeah. very, very funny actually. You can really tell what the what the posh, yeah. poshest streets are. They're almost in a sort of silent, passive-aggressive competition of who's got the best junk. Exactly, and and that's, <laughs> uh, but that that particular photo of the painting, um, you just caught the angle of it absolutely perfectly. Um, and it, we're just talking about a cardboard box, and there are at least three um frames picture frames in the box and you can and just poking out above uh, a corner of the box you know you've you've got the girl with the pearl earring just just looking directly into the camera but you can't see all of it just 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 her eyes and her nose and it's um it's just alive i mean it's an amazing um, painting in the first place but it's just <laughs> being in the box brings it even more to life yeah i, I love the, the the fact this is such a piece of classical sort of art history really so it's a dutch master isn't he the mayor um but it's just in a cardboard box <laughs> and it's just a sort of you know a, a modern day version of where this stuff ends up uh, but i took about six shots of that just to get the angle right uh, and to make sure that look was there's that mona lisa thing going on isn't there there's the classic eyes the face is at a particular angle yet the eyes are looking at you so as a result they actually follow you around the room they did that with a lot of paintings in that era yeah yeah uh, it's a it's a it's a it's an absolute cra- cracker and we've uh and um you've been kind enough to send uh, a pdf over to hong kong so uh so perry's got uh eye, eyes on this as well don't you dare yep. print it perry <laughs> oh it's all good i won't i, won't. I get one i'll order one <laughs> 
knock off copies of it all around Hong Kong. <laughs> or in the ladies' market everywhere. No, man, I, I wouldn't dare distribute a book. <laughs> um, Anil, one thing I'm always curious about, uh, especially with a book like this where you're looking back through years and years of photographs, is the curation process. Um, number one, are these all film or all digital or a mixed medium? I would say they're, they're the majority of them, in fact, almost all of them are digital uh, mm -hmm. because of the nature and the way I go out and shoot this stuff. So I did have, I mean, again, hundreds of film photographs. Uh, but the challenge with the, the way I shoot and the kind of things I capture, to, to capture them with film, uh, as you can see, a lot of the shots in this are, there are moments that look beautiful and still. So, for example, in about the fourth page in, there's a, a picture of a man sat outside a coffee shop engrossed in a book and there's a dog at his feet mm -hmm. that was i didn't stop still and capture that i was walking i saw him and i had a 24 mil frame um lens on my camera i was literally walking past with the camera at waist height and took the shot a couple of shots so i didn't even know if i had it until i got it so mm -hmm. you know okay. a lot yeah yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, looking through the images and the tonality, I assumed that they were uh, they were digital, um, but wasn't sure if it was sort of 100% that medium. But more, more interestingly, you know, you're going through a lot of images, right? And then you're, you're, you're squeezing them into a book that is not super short, but not in incredibly long as well. Um, so can you kind of talk us through your curation process? Yeah. So first thing I'll do is I will – I went through all my images. I pulled them all together. And then I started uh, – just with the image viewer in my, on my Mac, just scrolling through them, just to remind myself of things I'd shot. Um, and I started to just add a little yellow highlight on the ones that I liked. Uh, so then I pulled them out into a separate folder. Then I went through them again. Um, and then on the ones I liked even more, I thought were real killers, I, I put a red highlight. So there's some were yellow and some were yellow and red. So now I've got this sort of second set which are even tighter. Then I did that again, adding blue. So I end up with another folder, which are yellow, red, and blue. So I've sort of stripped this, you know, I funneled down uh, these images into a, a much tighter set. And then uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll go through them and sort of, because a lot of this is just sort of mood. It's very difficult with images because when you start laying out a book, there's a sort of energy that goes, you know, when you're spreading two pages apart, you're trying to create some sort of thing going on. And there's not always necessarily a connection between two images across the opposite sides of a page. Sometimes you might have a crazy energetic image and you deliberately put something else on the other side just to calm it down. You know, the, the really interesting thing uh, to our listeners, we're on a we're on webcam so I can see Anil kind of holding up the book. Um, you sent me a digital copy of it uh, for this show and it, it doesn't reflect the kind of layout thinking um, in in anywhere near the same kind of way when you're holding in your hand and kind of looking at each spread as a pair of pages. Yeah, so sometimes I'll have, you know, for example, there's one shot. My favorite photo is, uh, I call it Skater Girl. There was a big skateboard event happening on Brighton Seafront. It was about 90% guys on their skateboards. And then I um, saw this girl. She looked about nine years old. And she was just zipping past uh, in the foreground, and I just grabbed her, and she's got a great look on her face. She's got a, she's down in a, wearing a skirt. She's at this low angle, um, but she looks really intent, really defiant. Um, and 
what I've done on the opposite page is just a shot of an old couple who seem to be staring across at her. So yeah. sometimes there's a sense of interaction between the shots. Sometimes there's a sense of a theme. And then also, I, it's, it's weird. It's, you know, some of my shots, I love seeing a shot in its entirety, and I'm always averse to spreading a shot across the spine of the book. But this time I, I decided to sort of let go of that fear and, and let it happen. And so there's another particular shot, which is one of my favorites, which was shot last year. I was on Brighton Pier and it was a very misty morning. It was very low tide and incredibly windy. And there was absolutely no one on the beach. But uh, every year, I've noticed every year on a particular day, I think it's a, an African church. Uh, the members come to the beach and they walk into the sea one by one and they're baptized. Mm. Um, so we've got that. There's this really wide shot where it's essentially just sea and shallow waves. But then in one corner uh, on one page, it's just these tiny, tiny people. And there's a woman being led into the sea and she's being baptized. And so, you know, some things just work and give you more of that cinematic scope. I, I must say that that is a challenge with A5 because, I, you know, problem with photography once you start putting it in print you want those prints to be big um mm -hmm. so working within an a5 is quite restrictive to a point um because you want people to be able to sort of look right into the photographs in an ideal world i think this book probably would have been a4 but then when you get bigger you would then want to add more to it and it starts to change the project into something bigger as well right so you've got to almost you've got to define a few parameters um the other thing i'll do as well perry is i'll write down words because it, it, the, the hardest thing is to be objective of, of, with your own work. So once I started to plot and put pages down in the book, I'll put words down. Um, so, for example, I'll write um, poignant or sad or, you know, uh, particular moods and things. And, make sh and, and I'll assess each image by them and making sure that I'm mm. sort of meeting an overall criteria because I want the book to have a particular feel across its entirety. Um, yeah. And I, I, I've got a lot better at not making books feel random. And that way, it's, it's a way of sort of isolating some shots that aren't, perhaps aren't right. Yeah, okay. So I, I, I have a question about, um, just from memory, right? One, one of the um, things I noticed about the book is the vast majority of shots are, you know, street shots, street portraits, people doing things, a lot of diversity. But they're punctuated by images of, um, with no people in them. Yeah. And now that you're sort of talking about the layout, um, there's one image you have in there, which is like just a, it's a dead pigeon. Yeah. Um, and I'm really curious about where you put that and sort of what's around it. Uh, I don't know if you, you or your team yeah. able to sort of lift that up and show. Cause well, I, I've got the dead person. pigeon here. Yeah. So the dead pigeon, I, uh, basically okay. I was, I was walking down the street and I saw a dead pigeon and it was, clearly a freshly dead pigeon because it's still very plump so mm -hmm. to the point where it doesn't look damaged no one's stepped on it a car hasn't gone over it there's no maggots in it it is literally a pigeon that actually just looks like it's lying on its back asleep mm. um and it just looks soft and gentle and sort of at peace but sad at the same time now on the opposite page uh, to that is one of, again one of my favorite photographs that i've ever ever taken actually and again it was taken on the fly I was walking past a pub and there was an old man sat outside the pub. He's got arthritic, knobbly fingers and he's just sort of looking at his hands. He's got a walking it's, stick. It's George Bernard Shaw, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's just gorgeous. He, it's a picture that could have come from the early, early 20th century because there's nothing in it apart from a rolled up newspaper that gives you a sense of the era. 
Uh, he's got a cigarette in his hand. Uh, it, and it, it, for me, captures the kind of photographs I'd like to capture. And it, they're very hard to capture in this day and age. Um, so on one side, I've got this old man who's nearing death. On the other side, I've got a pigeon um, that has achieved death. But then mm-hmm. above it, I've got a bunch of mods um, <laughs> tinkering with a motorbike. Because um, I felt that, that that trio of images just needed something else, uh, just to bring some life. So essentially, there's a bit of right. life in death. But on one level, you know, I, there, there's no... When you start talking about stuff like that, you sort of have to start getting to analysing. But I, I don't try and get all pretentious and deep with this stuff. I think ultimately it's about feel. You know, you look at images, that just feels right next to that yeah. image. Or these two images are too samey. And you just keep going through your work and going through it again and again until you, it feels right. And then the other thing I do is... I will physically walk out of the room and physically walk back in and sit down and look at things again. And just changing mm-hmm. your field of view helps you to, with, with that editing process. Yeah. And then you think you've got it right, give it a couple of days, come back to it and look again. Right, right. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. And I, I think uh, the interesting thing looking at that was just the, the way that the um, three images created a natural triangle. Yeah. Which kind of, you know, it balances out the... the two pages quite well. So I agree, you know, you're, you don't necessarily want to sit there and, you know, analyze it like a English literature class or something. Right. But those little decisions, they, they do. Um, I mean, when, when I saw the pigeon, I was, I, my first reaction was, why is there suddenly a random dead pigeon? But in the context of the two pages, it actually balances out the frame. And that, that's always interesting to me, the kind of idea of like the book as a frame and then each frame as their own frame. And yeah. so you've got like, you know, frameception, right? That's, that's the other thing, just making sure there's enough of a border around. So some, there's the odd images that are full bleed, um, but a lot of them have a bit of a border. And it's always a challenge when you have a small book, when you've got two images together, to make sure they've got enough space around them. Uh, that becomes mm-hmm. so important, just putting borders around stuff. Otherwise, the images just, I mean, they literally need a frame, don't they? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, was, I was just going to say, I, I really don't want to turn it into a uh, let's talk about photos on the on the podcast uh, kind of thing. <laughs> How dare uh, we talk about yeah, photos, yeah. a thing that we take with cameras and classic lenses. <laughs> exactly. But there's just some, there's a, actually, no, there's a couple of observations. Uh, the first one is when you were talking about the mods uh, working on their motorbike, they were working on a scooter. Um, as, a, as a former motorcycle ride, motorbike rider, I stand rider, corrected. I, I, I feel I have to point that out. Um, and uh, secondly, you, men- you mentioned about um, coming, you know, using words to describe describe um, photographs and single words and things like that um i just need to know what the single word was that describes the uh, the, the seagull um staring at itself in the mirror um, oh well that that yeah <laughs> again that's uh, it's, it's poignant isn't it, it it's, it's that was again that was such a rare moment um i i was walking through a market and there was a young seagull um obviously living in Brighton there's loads of seagulls and you get these sort of baby seagulls which tend to be bigger than their parents for some reason and they sort of follow their parents around whining at them all the time they're really annoying but this one was by itself and basically it was a Saturday morning people were setting out a street market uh, selling bric-a-brac and old antiques and crap but someone had lent leaned some mirrors antique mirrors uh, uh, along a wall and this seagull had landed and was just had to stopped and was staring at itself (laughs) 
in the mirror and I, I just couldn't believe that that moment was unfolding in front of my eyes so I got down and I grabbed about four or five shots yeah. so I've got somewhere the seagull is looking at itself in the mirror I've actually got some others where it's the seagull turned around and was looking at me so the back of the seagull was in the mirror um, but again that, that's for me that that is what I would call a, a sort of uniquely brightened moment yeah and that's what that would come under yeah it's a, it's a perfect shot there's no there's no two ways about it and and you know your position where you where you took the shot was perfect. You, you know, because you could so easily have been in that photograph as well, and and you weren't. You know, it's just, it's the same trick as the you get when they're making uh, TV shows and and films and stuff like that. You know, you've you pulled the same trick off. Yeah, it was it was one of those classic things. You don't realise how lazy you get as a photographer because I was stood up and I saw this thing happening. I realized I had to get down to the level of the seagull. So I had to crouch very slowly and carefully so as not to let it fl- make the thing fly off, uh, to get down to its level so that you're, you're sort of seeing the world through its eyes. Otherwise, you're looking down at the thing. It's not the same. Yeah. You want to be with it and not looking at it. Um, so, yeah, that, that's another one that I'd love to, you know, annoyingly, I can't make as a print and put up in a gallery and start selling, but uh, one day. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. And I think on, on that that note... Uh, much as I actually really want to carry on talking about your book and all the photographs in it, because they are wonderful. I mean, it's just full of, you know, of, of moments of life. There's, you know, there's some things that are, you know, relatively shocking and there's a salacious stuff in there. And then there's just absolute humor, you know, which we've just been talking about with that, with that gull. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So uh, thank you. Really well done there. Um, and, Actually, I think this is actually a good time before we go on to the emails uh, because we were having a chat and Perry doesn't know about this and uh, and because Johnny's not here to say that we shouldn't do it, um, we're going to have a competition <laughs> and uh, because this copy of City by the Sea by Anal Mystery, um, which is also branded as Unusual Eye, we didn't really talk about that, um, which you can in a second, um, we're, we're going to give this copy away. Um, and I will send it wherever in the world it needs to go um, to somebody that uh, that wins it. And uh, we we thought about this. I say we thought about it. Um, I asked Anil what we're going to do as a competition, and <laughs> Anil's clever and creative, and he came up with some suggestions. Um, most of them good, actually, as well. <laughs> For once, uh, yeah. Um, but perhaps you might want to ex- explain, uh, and we'll and we're going to probably work this one out as we as we're going along but if you, you start it off and then we'll firm things up and then that that will be the competition oh you want me to explain what it is yes okay well um i came up with the idea of uh camera grams so camera grams uh are anagrams that you make from the letters from the names of cameras or lenses so okay uh for example what can you what anagram can you make from what word other words can you make from con, the letters in contacts aria or what anagram can you make from uh the words in maya optic gold for example so essentially pick a camera or a lens name and make something from the letters in that name make something new from it and the the best one judged by whoever uh will win the book this, this is this is going to be good. I, you know, I, then again, I thought the haiku competition was a good idea as well. So I'm probably not the best person to judge these things. Um, but um, yeah, let's just try and th- throw some rules of rules around it. Um, 
if we're going to have a camera name and a lens, then that lens and camera have got to go together. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. Well, well, well yeah. in the spirit of adapting lenses, I don't know, man. Uh, I, I think it's either just pick a camera name or pick a lens name and then yeah. come up with, because otherwise it might get very convoluted. I think the most important rule is, do you have to use every letter once? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, like can't, a- you can't double up on a letter. You have to try and use every letter if you can. That's probably going to give you plus points and uh, lead mm. to the, the book, right? And does it have to be a classic lens? Not just any modern lens. It has to be a classic lens. Oh, yeah, obviously. Well, then we get into the argument, what is a classic uh, lens? Ooh. So not, not an AF lens, then? Yes, not uh, autofocus, unless, of course, it's a, a contacts G lens, uh, which, uh, which, which, we, which we let go. We let that one go. Um, so, uh, yeah, okay. And um, we will... Uh, anybody that wants to enter, if they can enter it via our email rather than sharing it on our our um, facebook group if you can email it in to classic lenses podcast at gmail.com um and sh- ooh, time scale should we give it i don't know six weeks or so what does that does that sound like so uh yeah give it, it until like end of feb is that six weeks uh that's like that's like four weeks is it? Oh, right. oh, yeah, it's a short one as well anyway, isn't it? Of course, yeah, it's, it's, 20, oh, it's the 28th of January, my word. <laughs> what year is this? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I still haven't started my tax return. It goes in in two days. Um, I really need to do that, don't I? Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I don't know, sometime in March. We'll let everybody know in a, in a, in a future podcast. But, um, but yeah, get, get, uh, get those into us as soon as possible. And you can... Oh dear! I was going to say you can you can enter this as many times as you like, but I, was it was it um, was it was it was it Paul Friday that sent in around about eighteen haikus? Um. <laughs> so is it a single entry per person? <laughs> I, I think we've got we've got to give more more than that. But um, I would say you can enter more than one entry, but put them together. So like one email yeah. per person, but you can put as many entries as you want within that email. Yeah, we're not going to get that overrun, are we? I know, I know, but remember last time? <laughs> <laughs> I can hear people running to their uh, an- anagram apps yeah. um, well, the, already. The thing is, like last time, though, uh, with, with, with haikus, haikus take a period of time to read out, don't they? Um, you know, you, and, yeah, it doesn't take long to, to, to read out two words or three words yeah. in a sentence. So uh, I think I think we can get through through that. Um, we we okay. may not we may not read them all out. Um, that's the other side, you know. So uh, we may we may uh, uh, vet some of them. So uh, so yeah. So there's a competition. Uh, camera grams um, based on the rules that we've just said, which I've already forgotten. And uh, email them in to classiclensespodcast at gmail dot com. And we'll work out some way about how this is going to get judged. And eventually the winner will get City by the Sea, um, which is book number two by Animal Mystery, an unusual eye. So what's unusual eye? So, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I'm always um, coming up with... So a few years ago, I, I was really into... I'm a designer, so I, I, I bought a risograph printer. You guys probably don't, don't know what they are. But a risograph no printer is... It looks like a photocopier. 
but the process by which it prints is more like screen print. Um, they're used by, usually traditionally used by big organizations like prisons or schools to print out shitloads of copies of one thing. But the, the thing about risograph printers is they, you buy these drums and you fill them with different colors. So essentially you can put the same piece of paper through the machine again and you get the effect of screen print but through a machine that looks like a photocopier. So they are very cool, very expensive, and they're a pain in the ass because they're constantly getting dirty and things. But you get lovely things out of them. So I used to have this uh, brand I developed called Super Art Club through which I sold um, my risograph prints. But then I started doing more photography. I sold the printer, and I wanted to come up with... Um, it just started off as a, a, a Facebook group. So there's a Facebook group called Unusual Eye. The idea was initially as every facebook photography group starts off as is that it's it's trying to be about one type of photography and the whole point of unusual eye was it was trying to be about unusual or different photography nothing cheesy nothing cliched blah 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 uh, but then people get lazy and just chuck everything in and then you feel like an arsehole if you're trying to say well actually that doesn't follow the uh, guidelines of the group and it sort of takes all the fun out of it so but the, the brand and the, the, those two words I sort of really liked. And I thought I, I'd create a an imprint, a, my own photographic photo book imprint for Unusual Eye, which will, you know, at the moment it's photo books by me, uh, but it may end up as books by other people as well. Uh, it may end up as not just photography. It may, may end up as design, may end up as art and illustration and other things. Uh, but it just became a, a brand under which I could start, start to sit these books um, and do stuff with um, so it's got this nice sort of 70s uh, British vibe to it uh, that's the best way I can describe it someone said it was very Scarfolk and if you know Scarfolk um, you'll get that um, but um, yeah that's the idea but the, the, the book is sold um, by Fistful of Books um, so don't get confused people because I may do a book with Fistful of Books under the Fistful of, book, Fistful of Books imprint, but Unusual Eye is my imprint. So they'll, this is the second book under that imprint. It's all very confusing. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, that's cleared that one up at least. Anyway. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. You asked. Yeah, I did. Just can't get over the, uh, the prisons or schools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very random. No, but Perry, you, you'd love it. Uh, check out Risograph. So they're made by Riso Corporation of Japan. They are incredible machines. Uh, and How do you spell it? R-I-S-O, and then the word oh, graph, okay. Risograph. And check out what people are doing with Risograph machines. It's stunning. Uh, people are actually doing photo books with them as well. Yeah, we'll check that out. A new rabbit hole for you to jump oh. down. Okay, yeah. then. So... From from there, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to do some emails, and well, we're just going to do our best. We'll get through as many as many as we can, um, and um, yeah. So there we go. So I'll head over to Hong Kong and ask Perry to do the duty. Oh boy! Okay, you ready for this first one? Mm-hmm. It's a doozy. Oh, we might be uh, worth, might be worth just putting the date the dates when these things these I will, emails I will. came in as well. Okay. Yes, this is from November 26th, uh, or, you know, March 4th, 250th, uh, 2020. And it comes to us from Dominic Samol. And the subject line is compatibility questions, contacts RF slash Leica M. So Dominic writes, hello, dream team of Classic Lenses podcast. It's me again, Dominic from Germany. Thanks for reading out a large portion of my email mentioning non-vanilla Pentax lenses. 
I feel the prices on those already raised some degree, no scientific evaluation done, which might be because those were only mentioned but not written out in the notes. Uh, I acquired during the last weeks a Contax RF to Leica M adapter from eBay. It was not one of the usual makes, and it featured rangefinder coupling. Since I'm only starting out in the system and already have some having some contact lenses, I thought of this as a handy tool. The maker is an Italian going by the name Zuwil, uh, and there's a link to eBay. With this adapter in my hands, I had to dig deeper into compatibility of lenses between Leica LTM, Leica M, Contax RF, and Nikon S. To most cameras, the biggest obstacle is the length and diameter of the protruding part of the lens, which reaches inside the camera. When looking for a cheap 35mm for my Contax 2A and my Zeiss ZM, I found out the hard way that the old Biogon and the Jupiter 13, I assume he means Jupiter 12, uh, won't work because of length and diameter. It hits an edge inside the body on the Zeiss ZM, the Contax 2A, and will touch the shutter curtains on the Canon 7. Much of this information is available on the internet, but not all in one place, and some is still missing. I do not know about the Nikon S series in that regard, since I sadly do not own one of those. One bummer on the way was that my beloved Scopar SC 25mm with rangefinder coupling will not work with the coupled adapter I have. This is because of how the adapter is made and how the Leica-style cameras gauge for the lens distance to couple with the rangefinder. The adapter has a rotating ring, which engages with the lever. The inner diameter of the ring ends with the inner edge of the lever, but lenses like the Jupiter 12 and sadly also the SC scope R have a thicker rear diameter and would hit the ring when you want to mount the lens. Tinkering with the ring will not help either because then the lens will hit the rangefinder lever directly and if not ha- harming the camera, will at least give false readings. Condensed. Two tables are needed for successfully buying and adapting. Table one, contacts and Nikon mount wide-angle lenses with the diameter of their rear assembly. The diameter must be below 30 millimeters to stay safe, below 29 millimeters for the ring. If slash when it hits parts inside different cameras depends on the camera. The 29 millimeter measure is not for hitting is for not hitting the rangefinder lever. Uh, the second table should be one of cameras which obstruct the space inside because of any reasons. Uh, to my knowledge, the Jupiter 12 causes here the most problems but some others might reach as deep inside the camera and cause similar problems. In this table must be cameras like the ZM, the Contax 2, 3A, I guess many of the TTL metered Leicas as well, and also metered Voigtlander cameras, and also the Canon 7 with its different shutter assembly. Maybe you have some insights in this or can help the community with providing measurements of the rear diameter on said lenses. Keep up the good work. Kind regards, Dominic, Germany, near Stuttgart. Now I breathe. Wow. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Over to you, Perry. (laughs) Um, Yes. Why why is Perry? Yes, is is my response. Yeah, Perry knows about uh, rangefinders and things like that. I think, think, actually, I also think there are probably some people thinking we may actually have a rangefinder-free show, (laughs) but no. I mean, he's he's asking for a table of compatibility, right? Because I, I googled this adapter he's talking about, and it doesn't look that unusual. It looks very, very similar to, um, you know, the uh, the traditional style of contacts to Leica adapter, where it's the, got the mount ripped from a Kiev or something. 
Um, and then there's a pretty standard rangefinder coupling arm at the back. And so you're, you're going to encounter the exact same thing with that adapter as you will with an Amadeo or anything else where, um, yeah, as he says, p- parts of certain lenses may interfere. So in terms of compatibility, you know, you're going to have trouble with a lot of lenses. Like the Jupiter 12, the rear element is so big that it's just going to hit the rangefinder coupling arm. Um, the 35 Biogon, some versions of it, uh, you can kind of get around, um, although at your own risk, because there's a, a metal ring that moves back and forth on the back of the lens. And you can actually remove that, um, and it will then... I don't know if it'll prevent interference with the coupling arm, but it will at least allow the, the lens to mount uh, on Leica M through adapters. 21 Biogon has a similar issue where there's this crazy rear baffle that's like sort of the shape of a diaper. Um, and you, you take that off and uh, it can mount, but it probably won't couple because it'll interfere. So, I mean, all of this information is out there, as he says. Um, and I, I defer to someone else uh, to make that table if they so desire. I'm sure we've all had problems with trying to mount and not coupling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially when there's a metal ring tied around the uh, the shaft. Okay, no, let's move on to our next. I was, I was thinking, oh, we haven't got Johnny here. Yeah, you really are um, stepping into his shoes for us, there, aren't you? I'm talking about bio guns. What are you? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of you. Yes. Um, Grab okay. your all right, all right. Next one. This one is a short one. Uh, and this comes to us November 24th from Philip Crana. And the subject is Holiday Gift. Hey, guys, I have been loving your podcast this year. Want to return the favor and send you a copy or two of my new zine. Please let me know a mailing address and I will put in the mail. Also, check out my Instagram and follow me, please, at dyslexic. Uh, that, that's dyslexic spelt. D Y S L E X S Y K. P.S. Just bought a Kodak Extra at a flea market for $75. Nice. Are the lenses really that good, or is this just a rare camera, and that is why they are worth so much? Sorry, how, how, did you, how do you spell dyslexic? Uh, <laughs> spell, it's spelled exactly the way it sounds. D Y S L E X S Y K. D Y S L. E-X. E-X. S-Y-K. S-Y-K. Do you know, actually, that one of the most common, commonly misspelled word, words is misspelled? That's, yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense yeah. So, so, yeah. Well, I'm just looking um, at Dyslexic's page. Kodak Ektra. Uh, I, I think the lenses are kind of cool and unique, but it is, it is also rare, and that's why they're expensive. I think the rarity is more... Um, it's more the rarity than the lenses because they're pain to mount uh, and a pain to adapt. And we also need to respond uh, to this. They, they, there you go. We, uh, that's 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 proof that we we read these things the first time when they actually get onto the podcast. So, uh, so there we go. So um, we'll we will be in touch, Philip. So uh, it's very nice of you to. Have, well, assume there are any zines left. Um, we'll. Um, We'll uh, gladly have them. So, uh, yeah, so we'll get in touch with you and drop some postal addresses. I've just been checking out your Instagram feed. It's very cool. Very nice. Sweet. 
Good stuff. Okay. Yep. Uh, moving on. Next email is from Vaughn Bromfield, uh, sent on December 1st. Subject is comments and questions for the experts. Hello. Something for everybody. <laughs> uh, Simon, in a previous podcast, you boasted that you could create a lens cap for anything if you knew the diameter. The Arecibo telescope is being decommissioned. It will need a cap. Uh, diameter is 350 meters. I, I think I need to retract my previous statement. <laughs> uh, Perry, my genuine sympathies with the situation in Hong Kong. In Argentina, police were shooting and tear gassing the Diego Maradona mourners. I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but I figure you'd be thinking, sucks to be them, which might not happen often these days. Uh, no, I don't think sucks to be them. Sucks to be tear gassed. Um, but, you know, Maradona deserved uh, deserved a proper send-off. Um, and then this question is for Johnny, but I'll read it anyway. Johnny, uh, while browsing, I think this is the actual question. <laughs> while browsing for cameras, I found a Leica R4, something body uh, for a cost comparable with a Nikon FE or an OM1 or two. So I'm thinking, wow, this could be interesting. I start checking Leica R lens prices, availability, and reviews, mainly for 28 millimeters, my favorite, or 35 millimeters. Holy crap. One, the prices are crazy. Two, uh, reviews were along the lines of, yeah, the Leica R28 2.8 is nice, but my Minolta MD is sharper and a third of the price. In your experience, is this the case that the R lenses offer nothing exceptional other than their price and the R bodies aren't much either? Love your work. Regards, Vaughn from Sydney, Australia. Um, and then there's a there's a uh, footnote behind Foley uh, under Holy Crap, which says I learned recently the difference between vulgar and profane. A vulgarity references bodily functions, uh, profanity specifically references God. Therefore, Holy Crap is both vulgar and profane. <laughs> Thank you for that, Vaughn. So that's one of the Minolta likers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's the problem with I, I always get. I, I, I flogged my M7 a while back to buy a, my Nikon D850, and I, 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 I do miss the feel of the a Leica. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll buy an SLR, but I have the same problem. It's like as soon as you look at the price of the glass, it's like, oh, Jesus, I'm just going to stay away from this stuff. <laughs> uh, we, we've, we have, uh, I don't know if we've talked about like um, Minolta lenses since this email came in. Um, that's at Minolta and Leica like are. Um, and uh, I think we were giving like a big tick for things like the um, Summicron Fifty. Uh, yeah, really, really good lens. Um, I've I've always wanted to have a go with a uh, with a, a Summilux, a Leica R Summilux uh, fifty mil lens. Uh, never tried one. Um, would like to, um, but I, I I don't get excited by any other Leica R lens. And there's no reason to. Um, you know, unless you're one of those people with a boner for an Apo Tellet, um, the you know, I mean, we talked about this before, right? It sounds mm. it sounds from this email like his main criteria is sharpness, anyway. Mm. Um, in which case, you're really not going to get that much of a noticeable difference. Um, the like our lenses, they feel nice; they're nice lenses, but they are extremely expensive for what you get compared to what else is on the market. That, that's my opinion of that. Yeah, I mean, if if Johnny was here, I I assume. He would be saying, "Get get a an X five hundred and the Minolta lenses, and uh, be a lot happier." Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, there's nothing to me. There's nothing really special about like our lenses. They're nice. They're they're not. They're they're really good lenses. 
Um, but you know, with that money, like go get yourself an entire set of like contacts. Yeah. It's better. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, next email. Um, and, and just let me know if we're struggling for time. Cause we it's, do know, we do know it's, okay at the moment, unless, unless, um, Anil and I get tired, which is quite late for us. Although, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> the sun is coming up here, so I, I can, I can keep going. Um, all right. Next email is from David Ortega. It's a short one. Uh, subject is Roly Roly Tastic. Uh, December seventh, twenty twenty. Hey guys, a short email this time, but your Walla Roly Tastic episode uh, made me gasp for the Roly extension hood, two and a quarter inch by two and a quarter inch. Uh, in a ri- is it two and a quarter inch or two and a quarter foot? That's um, got to be inches, surely. Yeah, uh, in original packaging and leather case. On eBay, it was listed as four parts, but looked fine, so I shall take the risk. Um, can't wait to try it out. And that is the weird binocular thing that Johnny was talking about on a previous episode, and it yeah. sounds like David Ortega has gone and purchased one. Excellent. So send us a picture of you using it. And uh, we will be amused by that picture because that thing looks ridiculous. <laughs> cool. Okay, all right, next one. Uh, this is from Theo Biddulph, uh, December 9th, 2020. It comes with a cool picture of the Eiffel Tower. Um, and it, the subject is photography encounters or where your CLP gas leads you. So Theo says, hi, guys. I thought I'd give you a little story about how I bought my Roli Flex. Uh, yes, yes, I finally gave in. I bought myself a Roli Flex 2.8F planner. Have we, have we have we started to say Roli Flex now? Is is that the official Classic Lenses podcast way of saying that? Because I'm sure you didn't say it that way last time we spoke, uh, or in the previous email. Um, no, I'm just mixing it up. In, okay. in the uh, earlier email, I said both Nikon and Nikon. We got to ah. you know be inclusive to a global audience. Okay, exactly, exactly. Um, Okay, where was I? Uh, It's not in perfect shape and has, I think, been heavily used. But everything seems to be working fine. It's a great camera. Weirdly, I seem to find square composition much easier with a TLR than with an SLR. I recently sold my Bronica SQ because I was having trouble with square. But both cameras used a waist-level finder, so maybe I'm just hallucinating. You'll notice uh, if you're looking at this email, by the way, um, there's a but after a semicolon there. You should not put uh, coordinating conjunctions after a semicolon. You've been told. Um, sorry, Karen, <laughs> moving on. Uh, so I contacted the seller, asked him a few questions about the camera. He, he just said to drop by and see if I liked it. I crossed Paris and arrived at his house. Uh, we sat outside more than one meter apart looked at the camera. He told me he used to own one of the famous Parisian camera shops. He still had loads of stuff left from those days in his garage. So I asked if I could see. Turns out it wasn't just his garage, but the entire ground floor of his house. Camera equipment everywhere. Hundreds of boxes all over the place labeled Hasselblad ground glass, Nikon F screws, Roll-Eye mirrors. He showed me around. I particularly loved the little lamps repair guys have. He had photography equipment everywhere, collimators, some machine for making sure the Roly lenses are parallel. It was just incredible. Cameras, Leica memorabilia, camera straps, parts of lenses. After a few minutes uh, talking, he saw I wasn't a threat 
And as we walked from one room to another, he shut the open door. Uh, hidden behind the door was a signed Cartier-Bresson that Cartier-Bresson had given him for adapting his point-and-shoot. Uh, behind another door, a famous Doisno photo of the Eiffel Tower. I found it interesting that the Cartier-Bresson photo was printed, including the borders of the negative, how fashion comes and goes. As we walked past one of the hundreds of boxes, I saw some film and asked if he could give me some. As well as the camera, I walked away with about 15 rolls of expired film, some of it pretty cool, Agfa APX, NPH 400, Ektachrome 64T, Kodak Technical Pan. Sorry for such a long email. Sorry to Perry, who has heard this already on Instagram. If it is too long, just forget about it. But remember, this is your fault after all. You gave me the gas. Keep safe. Theo. Wow. Um, I've got one here I could read out. Uh, any, any reaction to that one? I've heard that story before. Yeah, well, I, I was going to say it's. Uh, I, I was I was carried along with that email. You know, you could you could just uh, um, Im- imagine uh, that scene as it. I mean, at first when it, when you, you the story started with uh, you know I'm 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 selling this camera and I used to be a camera dealer. I used to have a big shop here. I think you know, yeah, yeah, sure you did. And then and then they actually took him there and and uh, you know it's not it's not difficult to imagine. Uh, that place is just completely packed to the gills, full of, full of uh, camera gear. And it's just one of those experiences you just love to have. Mm-hmm. Oh. Exactly. So, Anil, did you want to read the next uh, Nikon email? Yeah. So uh, this one as well. This is I skipped my homework. Uh, so I've got one here by Christopher J. May of Oakbrook Tele- Terrace, Illinois. So, gentlemen. Let's suppose for a minute that for the entirety of the Classic Lenses podcast, you'd been a Nikon DSLR shooter, and that because of that fact, your eyes glazed over every time that rangefinder lenses were discussed. Let's also assume that you recently added a Nikon Z7 mirrorless to your camera kit and can now adapt a host of delightfully small rangefinder lenses to it, but have no idea what to choose because your eyes had glazed over every time the topic came up previously. Let's finally assume that you're looking for something 50 millimeter-ish, around f2 or so, to adapt to the new camera, but do not have the time or dedication to devote to going through the archive and re-listening to the rangefinder discussions present, because that would take years, maybe decades, since it's a topic that takes up roughly 90% of every show. Zing. Given those parameters, what would you choose to put on your new Z7 to keep it small with sharp but interesting results? Bonus points if you stay under $250 or so. Thanks, guys. And that's Christopher J. May again from Oakbrook Terrace, Illinois. So he's looking for a rangefinder lens recommendation. For a sharp F2-ish 50 mil rangefinder uh, lens. Simon, for 250 over, bucks. Over, over to you, Simon. Um, okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm struggling with the, with the F2 stuff because, I mean, it doesn't need me to say something like a, 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 a Jupiter 8 because... You know, yeah, I was thinking yeah. exactly that. Yeah. So, what? so let's let's put put that to to to, to one side and the uh, the the Zeiss Sonar equivalent as well. Um, I'm there's a there's a top core which I'm sure you're going to mention, and I'm really struggling with the actual F two. Whereas come on, man. Yeah, no. Well, well, you said F two ish. Yeah, F two ish. Whereas, um, yeah, if we can go a little bit a little bit faster, so we're not going to go, you know, 
properly fast uh, lenses. Um, although Johnny will probably have a issue with me saying such a thing. Um, but um, the Yashinon 50mm LTM uh, mm. 1.8, if you can find one yeah. of those fantastic lens um yeah, i've only taken a few lens. photographs with, with with mine and it's out on loan uh, but every time i've uh, attached it to my sony i've i've just just it's just made me smile um and yep. as anybody's listened to me before that's usually a sign of a of, of a good lens that you just immediately know this is good um mm -hmm. so uh, i would recommend that um i've actually picked up this week uh, a canon 50 mil 1.8 ltm uh, yep. which I'm really interested in trying and I, I, I can't wait to actually get both the the Yashinon and the the Canon together uh, because they've, they 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 have a they're quite similar lenses I think they from what I they look similar ex on the exterior but the Yashinon is way more interesting yeah yeah so I'm uh, that's yeah really looking forward to trying those two but other, other than that um I can't remember that uh, that that top call which you you're about to mention um, so I'm just uh -huh. gonna, I'll, I'll hand over to the uh, to the rangefinder department now. Yeah, you got a lot of choices. Um, the the two hundred fifty dollars or so budget is is going to make it a little tough. Uh, so apologies for. I mean, the Yashinon you're not going to find for that cheap, for one thing. So Simon's suggestion is out already. Uh, Canon fifty one point eight is definitely a good choice. Um, there is the top core five centimeter f two, uh, which is probably my favorite fifty millimeter lens. It is. Not that expensive for what it what you get from it. Biotar design, super wonderful handling. Um, there's also the the Nikkor if you want to stay you know brand loyal as a as a Nikon guy. Nikkor uh, five centimeter f two is a Sonar variant. Um, it's not that expensive and it's really cool because it has Nikon's uh, close focus feature, which is useless on a rangefinder but uh, potentially very nice on something like a Z7, where basically you can focus the lens closer than minimum coupling distance. Um, and, and that lens is cool, all metal, uh, well built as well. So, I mean, those are the ones that come to mind immediately. Um, there are loads I've, of others. But yeah, I've, I've got a suggestion. Uh, you'll all roll your eyes, but um, you said in your email, sh interesting results. Uh, so I've got the Indostar 50. <laughs> Two, uh, it's a uh, fifty mil, three point five. Well, it's fast enough. You got a um, Z two. You got a Z camera there. Fast smashed. It's it's uh, you know, <laughs> it's a great lens. I stick it on my D eight fifty, and it looks ridiculous. Um, but it, you can get some really, really, genuinely interesting results. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh. Speaking of interesting results. Um, if 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 you are looking for something a little bit different, I can wholeheartedly recommend uh, the Chioko Rokors, either the forty five two point eight, which is my preferred one, or the fifty millimeter f two. Um, that lens is uh, a little larger than the other options, but the cool thing about that was it was designed originally for the middle to A, where the negative was slightly smaller uh, than a normal thirty five millimeter negative. So instead of thirty six by twenty four, I think it was thirty four by twenty four. Um, and so as a result, the image circle is slightly smaller. It still covers full frame, no problem. You get a little bit more of the edge aberrations, a little bit of swirl. Um, and I, that's, a, that's a really nice lens. And if you can find the uncoated uh, or, or single-coated um, 5 centimeter F2 Chioko, it is, it's really nice. It's got a very unique low-contrast look, and I adore it, and I need to use that lens again because I forgot it existed. I just thought of another one. I mean, this is really left field. 
um, and that will be if you could get a rehoused uh, Voigtlander Ultron from, Ultron from a uh, from a folding camera. That'd be pretty cool. I would have thought. Well, I mean, are we just suggesting random 50 millimeter f2 lenses now? Because that's where no, we're really, going. Not really. It's it's more about yeah you know, something that's interesting, and I think yeah. that that's classed as interesting, surely. Although um, whether or not you can get one that's rehoused in in that kind of budget or not, it's another matter. Yes, um, but if you're looking at that kind of lens, in addition to the Ultron, you should also look at the Schneider Xenon and the Rodenstock Elegon. Because especially that Rodenstock Elegon 50, 50 millimeter f2 off the retinas is just that lens is mind blowing. It's so good, and I want more copies of that lens. But they they're all on retinas, and so adapting them is kind of annoying. But that that lens is just amazing, mm. and I'm gonna use it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. That was good. Cool. All right. There's rangefinder talk for the day. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's only a couple left. We're we're being very efficient here. We are. Let's let's let's, let's right. go for it. Let's see if we can do them all. Let's, let's do it. Uh, this is from um, Tagizade Adabak, uh, December twenty eighth, twenty twenty. Subject: Happy New Year. Hi, kings of gas. Thank you for your great, entertaining podcast. My favorite by far. My first question is: How do you guys fight with your gas? <laughs> <laughs> I'm buying and selling gears to cover my photography expenses, but selling is not as easy as buying. I cannot fight with my gas for keeping the gear that I'm buying to sell. The second question, I have a few SLR collections, but I want to make my collection smaller and focus on one or two systems. I have Canon FD, Nikon, Olympus, Minolta, Kodak DKL, Pentax, Fujica, and Johnny mentioned a few times that you had a Minolta X700 and Olympus OM2N, but now your main SLR gear collection is OM mount, and they're really great. How did you end up with OM mount? Obviously, Johnny is not here to answer that. Uh, I really want to make space in my cabinet, but it's not easy to choose between these systems. Please give me some pointers. How can I choose between these cameras? Thank you, guys. Hope you have a great year. Cheers. At the back. So how do you fight with your gas, and what would you keep... Uh, one or two systems out of that chunk. Mm. Um, gas tends to look after itself when you run out of money. Yeah, um, I, I, I know that feeling very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or um, I, I have I haven't bought anything since October, so my gas is totally under control. But I wouldn't recommend my method of fighting. Just don't fight it. Like the underlying assumption is you have to fight the gas, but let let the gas sweep over you. You know, and and you will discover powers that some people consider to be unnatural. Um, yeah, there there is there is something about when you you get an attack of gas and you 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 feel like you need that lens or that camera or something like that, and then just try and let time uh, go by a little bit, and yeah, uh, and it does it does. You know, that, that gas does soften, doesn't it? Um, quite often, not com- not always. Though sometimes, where you 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 still need to do it. I, mean, I, I yeah. still need a a, a, a flex two point eight of some description. Um, yeah, but you know, yeah, yeah, you do. They're, they're really good. Yeah. I, I I had an experience of sort of offset gas, which is when you have gas for something and then you can't afford it, and you buy something else and you're disappointed and so <laughs> late last year I'd, I'd i'd had a few whiskeys and uh, i was lying in bed at, just trying to go to sleep but just staring at ebay and um thinking oh i i i sold my m7 but i i, I still want an m6 and um i nearly pulled the trigger on it 
uh, and didn't. And then the next morning, <laughs> I saw some posts from you, Simon, and it was mentioning some <laughs> lens. And I tried to ask you about it, and you didn't reply properly. And I don't know what the hell I bought, but it was, uh, let's say, a lot cheaper than a Leica M7. Oh, is that when you uh, went and, and bought the wrong Ricoh? Yes, that's right. It's uh, an XR Reconon oh, yeah, yeah, to yeah. 50 millimeter L. I don't know what it is, but anyway, it sat on my Pentax and it cost me about 40 quid. But that's all the gas that, I can that, afford that at much, the moment. That much? Yeah. Oh, God. That's, that's, a, that's a lot for that lens. It's a and you lot, bought yeah. the wrong version. Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah. very clean. <laughs> yeah. So, so listeners, don't, don't do what Anil did and don't, don't do buy the do version. Ever. Don't buy the version with the L on it, because apparently, according to Simon, that version sucks. But I found, I see, I found a post online saying the L version was the right version. Yeah, well, what, yeah. whatever the right version is, you've never clarified this, Simon. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's right. I haven't. No. Stop being mysterious. Tell us. <laughs> it's it's just the right one. So uh, <laughs> you, you, you'll get there. You'll, there you go. You'll see. Glad to help you on that one. Well, well, a lot a lot cheaper and a lot more disappointing than a Leica M6. There we go. Yeah, it's the it's the um, it's the cup price Sumicron. Um That's the Rico we were talking about out there, um, and lots of people have gone out and bought that lens, and everybody's been happy with it as well. So uh, except so for the ones what, who bought the wrong one. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the really wrong one is the um, uh, the P. Is it the P? Yeah, the the Ricanon P. Uh, don't buy that unless you're going to use it on a Ricanon. Uh, otherwise, it will potentially break your camera. Um, mm. Other than that, you're fine. Um, you're okay, you can, with a P1, you can you can put it onto a, you can adapt it to your to your mirrorless camera, no problem at all. But don't put it onto a uh, regular Pentax because it's got an extra pin and it'll get stuck, and uh, and that's not good. Um, yeah. So uh, the, the camera systems, yeah. Um, oof, which you want to get rid of? I mean, the the problem the problem is like you know, you say, well, get rid of the Canon FD. That sounds sound like a really inter- a really easy thing to say. Um, yeah, but there are some. Well, okay, <laughs> I'm going to have to justify it now. There are some good Canon FD cameras, uh, namely the F1, um, a T90. I, I really like the T90 uh, if you can get one that works. Um, but more to the point, there's some absolutely fantastic FD lenses. Yes, there's some crap. But there's some brilliant FD lenses. The 135 F2, incredible lens, absolutely brilliant. And there are others, yeah, just the regular uh, non-EF 50mm um, 1.4. Everyone uh, from the FL all the way through to the yeah. uh, the, the FDNs, great lens, absolutely great lens. There's, yeah, which is good as anything else out there. Um, Nikon, yeah, uh. yeah. <laughs> do, you to, do you want to chip into that one, do you, Anil? Yeah, well, you've got to keep Nikon. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's, a, I mean, it's an easy one to say, isn't it, really? Yeah, well, it's it's a numbers game, isn't it? I mean, there's so much Nikon glass out there over the years, um, and some of it is stunning, and it's readily available. It never goes crazy in price. And I, I've had, I'll tell you something, just because I, I, you know, I, I went through phases over the years of buying shitloads of cameras and glass and buying and selling and trying different things, but I, I at the end of the day, it, it, it weirdly, it almost doesn't matter what, you, at the end of the day, it comes down to what you're shooting. Um, I'm, you know, if you think of photography, classic lenses, there's a classic lenses bit and the photography bit, and I'm all about the photography bit. It almost mm. doesn't matter. Um, and frankly, when I look through photographs I've taken with X, Y, and Z camera, I can't tell what I've shot with what. I really can't. It, it's very, you know, unless you're going to the crazy bouquet or whatever, or this and the other. That, most lenses are 
pretty damn decent. And if if you're uh, for me, my view is if you're buying into photography and film photography, it, it it's not cheap. So buy into a system where things are readily available um, and of good quality. And there's so much, you know, for every um, focal distance, there's, you know, great and shit Nikon lenses, but there's, there's lots of things in between. So you can always find something that is really good. That's my view. But I mean, you also have to consider that you can adapt Nikon lenses to pretty much anything um, as mm-hmm. well. So, so I, I think the argument for Canon FD to sort of, reluctantly back up what 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 simon is saying is it's not that easy to adapt canon fd to other mounts um so if you want to use those lenses then then you know there's an argument there for the rest i think just find which camera you enjoy using the most uh which one feels best in your hand and which one you know you have the easiest time focusing as an slr um and then and then just go with that because you can always adapt, you know, like, like DKL. No, absolutely not. Right. Um, that, that those cameras are, are dumb, but the lenses are cool. And, and unless you really love those lenses, uh, there's no reason to keep that. The the rest, I think there's an argument for all of them. You know, I I like Nikon SLRs. I really like Olympus SLRs. Uh, Fujika. Well, I assume he's talking about the specific Fujika mount, right? Um, the X mount and not the yeah. not like an M forty two one. No, no, that the no that one's not versatile enough. Yeah, I think that's the, it's, that's that's the weak weak link in, link in there for 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 me at least. Anyway, but what I mean, I'm just going to say we've got uh, Canon FD, Nikon, Olympus, Minolta, Can, uh, Kodak DKL, Pentax, Fujica. Um, which one you should get rid of and all this kind of stuff? Well, I've I've just got to say there isn't a contacts. Uh, yeah, I was about there. to. <laughs> there's no, there's no M42 body either. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. Um, but you can, you can just use those lenses on so many things. But con- contacts, contacts SLR. That's really you can just get rid of all the others and just get the contacts SLR and yeah. nice Carl's ice glass. Zeiss glass at a and great ad- price and adapt quite a few other systems lenses to it as well. And if you have an a- contacts AX, you can make them autofocus if you really want to as well. But the flip side of that is you can adapt CY lenses to most of those mounts because the flange is quite long. So, not to Nikon, if I can remember. I think I tried. Yeah, but Nik- I asked, yeah. Yeah, because not, Nikon is – they're dumb, right? They made their yeah. flange distance yeah. longer than everyone except like R. Yeah. I think, I think so, you can put DKL on, onto Nikon as well just, just about. Can you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, yes. Yeah. Yes. If, if you really want to, if you yeah, if you yeah. really really wanted to, yeah. so yeah, I mean it. There, there's no right answer there, right? But uh, get rid of Fujika, probably get rid of DKL, and then pick your poison from the rest. If it were me, I would go probably Nikon and Olympus. But that's because I, I like those systems. And did you ever end up getting the fifty-five one point two? By the way, uh, which one for what? Which camera the? The Nikon. Nikon. No, no. I've got the. Okay. I've got a. Oh, I have the fifty. Uh, I've got a. Is it a fifty-five two point eight? The macro. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is lovely lens, uh, but no, I never, I never bothered because I've got the fifty-one point two, and that kind of did the job for me. But in terms of lens feel, the best feeling lens I've ever had, uh, and just overall quality is the uh, the contacts. Uh, fifty one point four. 
uh, planar. It's, it's just absolutely, it's so classy. It just feels wonderful in the hand. It's just absolutely beautiful. But then on saying that, I also love Pentax lenses. I love my ME2. It, it's weird. You, you have different cameras and that's the problem. It's, you know, my favorite camera of all time is a Nikon FM3A film camera. Mm-hmm. But my favorite camera to hold and to just use is the Pentax ME Super, just with a 51.7 on it. It's just there's something about it feels really instinctive. It, everything just feels really right. Um, my favorite camera, just because I want one again, it, uh, for, for tactile sensation, is is probably a Leica M6. Uh, there's the shutter sound, and that, it's, there's something special. I think that's what Leica do really well. But at the end of the day, again, it almost doesn't matter. It's what you do with the, the thing at the end of the day that, that's, you know, uh, going to give you. But, but for me, yeah, Nikon. I mean, it's... It, look at it from a sense of you know how many lenses are out there and if you want to carry on shooting and getting lenses and building a collection of things without breaking the bank there's a shitload of nikon lenses out there yeah i i, I don't think we've 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 helped Atterback in any shape or form there which i think we've probably done exactly what he wanted us to do uh, so go out and yeah. buy more things that's and it's fine exactly. don't worry about it <laughs> exactly um, all right, moving on. Uh, next email is from Bernard Sperling, uh, January 17th. So we're getting there. 2021 now. Subject, hooray. And Bernard says, the podcast is back and it is here to stay. Thank you all for the latest installment. Having a digital break is in itself not a bad idea. For example, Bytham takes them regularly. However, they are announced in advance. So the herd is not spooked. I was really worried by the ominous silence. And one needs to consider the circumstances you mentioned in the latest podcast. Silence could mean anything from a well-deserved break or something worse. I think he thought we were dead. <laughs> um, I tried to coax a reaction by a super artistic black and white contemporary shot on mirrorless with a classic lens handheld in one take. No expense spare. Did not have any, but still did not spare them. Well scripted. Had to think about it between lunch and afternoon nap. Under great effort took at least 10 minutes shooting and 20 minutes editing short adaptation of joseph conrad's epic novel heart of darkness or if you want it's much too long film version from last millennium apocalypse now agreed uh please watch it full with sound then the written dialogue will written self dialogue will fall into place look forward to the next podcast p.s i'm always up to any challenge but two points keep me from entering the malort challenge first logistics i do not think there is any this side of the pond uh, and second, being, yeah, I think he's in Germany and they have better sense than that. Uh, second, being the winner of the Konica 40, I found it fair to let someone else step forward to take the prize, <laughs> even though I am lusting after the legendary Raynox. I guess I wait a few more months for someone to come forward before revisiting logistics. Best regards to all of you. Keep safe and healthy. Bernard. Thank, thank, thank you very much. And I, I'd still, I still need to go back and listen to that with the sound on, uh, because it's, it's uh, yeah, there's a, there's a not, there's a something. I, I don't know. It reminded me of like something that David Lynch might have done. Um, so uh, we, we need to need to go back and, li- and listen to that. So uh, thank you very, very much. Yeah, we did mention that last time. It's, um, I, I mean, he definitely thought we were dead. Yeah, yeah. But, but don't worry, Bernard. It was just a, a Christmas, Christmas New Year breather. um okay i think we have uh three more but just want to check with you guys on your energy levels on this fine british evening 
I'm, I think we're doing okay. And I, I think it also just be worth noting um, that there is an email which I'm, we're not going to do this week, uh, largely mm. because it's a customer complaint um, yes. about Johnny. Um, so, um, so that one can that one can wait uh, for when Johnny's Johnny's around. So, um, so yeah. So what's what's the the next one? All right, this one, Jan- January eighteenth, from John Chab- Chabalco. I hope I got that right. Uh, subject: Classic lenses on digital cameras. Hi there. I just started listening to your podcast a few months ago. I just finished the most recent one on digital cameras with classic lenses. While you guys talked about it a bit, you didn't go too deep on using digital cameras with manual focus lenses. Specifically, which cameras work well with them, what the workflow was like, and all that. When the first generation Sony A7 cameras came out, I went and bought one, A7R specifically, uh, to use with my Leica lenses, and it was a confounding mess. It was my first EVF camera, but it was also so slow to use with the flipping between magnification modes to focus then back for framing, and then choosing the right magnification space to use, etc. And the focus peaking stripes uh, were rarely of use in the full frame mode. I sold that thing at some point, maybe a year after getting it, switched to Fuji X, and I love it, but the crop factor is a drag for my full frame lenses. And I've got a few Fuji lenses, which I like, so I don't use manual focus lenses much at all. That was four to five years ago now. I've been paying attention to the space, and I'm really interested in if there are new, good new digital bodies out there that make using manual lenses viable. The latest generation of Sony full frame, including the a7C, Canon and Nikon mirrorless bodies, I want to hear how focus actually works, uh, if it's a struggle or not, in good light and bad, wide open, closed down. And I'm interested in how they handle EXIF info with multiple lenses. That always seems to have been a bit of an afterthought. You guys touched on some of this in the podcast, but not with any hands-on experience on the new cameras. Uh, I rotate through a few film cameras and my Fuji Digital I'd love to give it another shot with the current full-frame mirrorless body, but I want to avoid getting burned again like I did with that A7R. Cheers, John. Hmm. That's a, an interesting one because you usually start to get into the way that different interfaces work and the way that these digital cameras handle manual lenses. My, my initial hmm. thought is, okay, if you don't, you know, you actually want to buy something and splurge a few hundred or maybe a few thousand on a new camera, maybe it's actually worth, well, you can't go into a store at the moment, but actually going into a store and trying them all out with one of your favorite manual lenses and seeing what the experience is like, or even just renting a camera out for a few days. Mm. It doesn't cost a lot of money to do that. And actually just giving it a bit of time so you're not under pressure in a store because it is a big deal because everyone shoots differently. Um, And that experience, and it's one of the things that worries me. I know at some point, I may have to go mirrorless or buy a mirrorless second camera um, to use with my manual lenses, but I can't Whoa, stand it. Are you saying? Are you saying you didn't buy a Fuji after our last episode with you? Well, I, no, I'll tell you the problem, Perry. I'm now thinking Fuji medium format. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean that—that's where I'm, I'm sort of looking now. It, it's I have a my main cameras are D850 and a D750. The D750 is almost dead. I mean the shutter starts to lock up when I. Uh, fire it up now I've I've absolutely killed it Uh, but at some point I'm thinking do I have to go Nikon Nikon mirrorless or do I go big Uh, and the idea of going big because the prices are coming down if you can call that a a low price it is getting interesting so that may be something that happens but I mean it, it is a challenge because if you 
if you're used to shooting a certain way and then you know it, it comes down for me it comes down to the, the interface what stands between you and the way each company have set up their software and the way that you know whether it's the focus peaking or whatever works between your manual lens and what you actually shoot and you know so maybe try them out um or maybe even rent it out for a few days yeah the problem the only the only uh problem they're going to have with 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 renting is that if you if it's there to be used with manual focus lenses is you're going to have to have some adapters the adapters yeah, yeah. so uh beg borrow steel um is the, is the is the bit you'd have to do with on on that one um which you know would you would you buy an adapter just just for just for a test drive i, I, I don't know and then i suppose you get into the whole thing about um you can get adapters that autofocus right manual lenses so there's that oh, whole God, world there yeah. in between so yeah. Yeah, well, let, let, I mean, let's 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 make the assumption that we're not we're not really talking about the uh, the autofocus stuff. Um, just just going back to where where they started, because you had the the first generation A seven and A seven R, um, and uh, when I first got going, I was using a uh, an Olympus uh, EM one, um, and I was very very happy with that for. 18, 18 months or so and it was actually I think for shooting manual lenses it actually gave a really good experience as well because it was easy to uh, use if you just you know customize the buttons uh, actually you know people moan about Sony menus but my word you go into an Olympus menu and it's you know, there's so you've got so many things you can do with it it becomes completely overwhelming but once you've actually worked out how to do your custom buttons um i found that the that the olympus was 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 excellent uh for 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 shooting uh manual focus lenses but the, the my favorite function uh of the olympus was the fact that you could leave voice recordings on each photograph that you'd actually took so and this, and this at the time is what I'll be doing. I'll take because I'd go out with a bag of lenses, and uh, you know, you get some people will take a photograph of the lens that they used, and they'll, they'll make notes or whatever. I, I couldn't be doing with any of that. And but what I could do is just make a voice note on the, on each photograph, and it was just so easy to do. And it, it kills me that uh, that Sony don't do that because I, I'm still using a uh, an A7 Mark II. Uh, which I think I mentioned last week, and, you know, that's a, and I bought that in about 2015. Uh, no intention of changing it. Um, I really dislike um, Fuji cameras because that stupid shutter speed dial on the top of them. I know that plenty of people have a, have a different view on, on that point, but I, I think it's just a complete waste of space um, because I'm an aperture priority shooter. Um, it goes into A if it has that dial, and then I've got a dial that does nothing, whereas I've Anyway, we, I can go off on that one for a while, um, which is the good thing, of course, about the uh, the medium format Fujis, um, because yeah, they they don't have the stupid shutter speed dial. They got rid of it for those, so uh, so that's a, a big tick in that box. But doesn't he mention um, full frame? So as opposed to micro four thirds, right? yeah, yeah, see. and and yeah. and that was the thing. So yeah, he already has a Fuji. Yeah, so com coming coming back onto on, onto Sony, which you know I've. As mentioned last week, I've had no real um, desire, uh, strong desire at least, to, to 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 change up for my A7 II. And if I did, it'd probably be to an A7 uh, II R that, uh, that 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 Perry has. Um, and um, but the thing is, is that, you know, people moan about menus and stuff like that. But for 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 me, it's about once you've configured your camera, just as the way I was saying about with the Olympus, um, my 
my Sony is configured for manual focus lenses um, that I have buttons that do they get take me straight to magnification um, I have a button that will ch immediately change the uh, the uh, stability of the IBIS um, I don't uh, you know I have a button that will go to the things that I want it to do um, and I find that just just you know it's in incredibly intuitive now you didn't like the Sony so you probably wouldn't <laughs> why would you like another Sony I don't, I don't know but uh, um, it's I think about getting to know your camera and um, getting over Fuji and stuff like that so does I like, that I like leave like Nikon and Canon <laughs> uh, I well, it's interesting one with Nikon and Canon. I mean, I I, I don't think I'd I'd go with go go with the Canon, uh, but largely because this, this 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 if you're going to spend that kind of money, I want I want as good a sensor as you can get, and and, and for me, Canon sensors are a bit iffy. Um, but the, uh, the the Nikon's are using Sony Sony sensors. Um, I would I would seriously consider a, a Z7. Um, if I was in the market for a new camera, I would very seriously consider it. I've I've held one. I've looked at it. It's got a good EVF, which I think is a really important thing with a with a digital camera. Um, um, I don't know if he does voice notes. If he does voice notes, that could take me over the edge, you know. But I'm not I'm not a Sony fanboy or anything. I don't own a, a Sony lens, you know. So I, I'll be quite happy to go with whichever one works the best for me. Simon, I, I like that you're defending Sony here um, without any prompt. Uh, whatsoever, but okay, a couple things, right? Number one, the the Fuji GFX 50s and 50R both have shutter speed dials, so I don't know what you're talking about with the uh, lack of a shutter speed dial. Oh, it's on, the, on the, the, new, the, the new one that's just come out. Oh, the hundred S. That yeah. was, that is sweet. That is sweet. Exactly. Yeah, so that's a good they, camera. They, so they, they've, done, so it, they've done it right now. That's good. So that aside, um, <laughs> I, I think. I mean, it's tricky here, right? I personally find that the Fuji crop factor doesn't bother me that much. And in my experience, they have the best focus peaking. Um, or like the X-Pro2 and X-Pro3 do give you that nice hybrid if you have the little sort of viewfinder in the viewfinder, which I quite like. Um, but I, I think you're kind of overlooking something here where, John, you're talking mostly about using Leica lenses on a Sony a7. Um, if that's the case, and if the EVF bothers you, the obvious answer to me is in an M10. Because uh, apart from the price, I mean, you get rangefinder coupling, you get a really nice viewfinder, you have a much better implemented live view uh, and a high-quality external viewfinder if you want it. Um, There's a Leica SL2 as well, but I wouldn't recommend that. So, I mean... I, from what you're describing and what bothers you about mirrorless cameras, I, I would probably go, if I were you, and if you can afford it, look at an M10. Um, other than that, I mean, the I don't have any experience with the Canon and Nikon body, so I don't know how good their focus peaking or focus assist is. But much like Simon, I have my Sony set up in a way that doesn't really bother me, and I find it's okay um, you know, for focusing. I, I just think it's easier on a Fuji. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think Simon's right, you know, the, the, see see what works for you. Um, and sort of an, what Anil was saying, I, I don't know if there's a lockdown where you are, um, but if you can go and try them out, even if you don't bring a manual lens with you, you the, the kind of native kit lenses that you can test, you can put them in manual focus mode, right? And just sort of see 
what the assist experience is like. So, so, so has the M, has the M10 got a decent EVF in it? Well, there's an external EVF on the M10, which is much better than the terrible one on the M240. Um, well, well, that, that sort of it, worries me that you said that because I mean, I, I tried. I'm not sure which one Hamish has got, Hamish Gill, but he's he's he he's got one with a with an external EVF, and yeah. I, uh, I I had to put the thing down because it was you know I I, I needed to take a photograph in this this and I just get handed this this this, this like with this external EVF and I was thinking this this is appalling yeah the actual yeah, it's quality not great. Of the yeah uh, it, it's it, not a great it, experience and it destroyed my whole interest in 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 that beautiful handly a feeling camera and I was thinking well just Give me a normal camera. I can know. I know. How, I know how this works. I know how to focus it properly. Yeah, well, well, no, but that, that's what I was saying. It's if if he's primarily using Leica lenses anyway, and he wants to adapt them. Um, the reason M10 jumps out to me is because you don't have to use the EVF; just use the damn rangefinder, mm. right? Um, but obviously, you know, price is the the primary issue there. But uh, yeah, if, if you hate EVFs, honestly, like if you can afford it, an M10 sounds like the way to go. Mm. The other thing, well. It, it was a, it was an early, a relatively early EVF, although I think it's actually the same as the EVF that's in my camera. Um, EVFs have come on a huge amount since since then, and uh, there's also uh, because we've we've not we've not mentioned it at all, and that's the uh, the, the the Panasonic and Leica L series cameras. Um, so uh, they, they... were you not listening when I said the Leica SL two? Oh, okay, then the Panasonic one then. <laughs> Who yeah, cares yeah, about yes, who cares yes. about that one? It's it's, it's an irrelevance <laughs> anyway. Um, so the uh, no the the Panasonics. I mean the EVFs and those. I've, I've I tried one about probably about eighteen months ago, and I was knocked out by just how good it was. It just made mine feel really clunky in the Sony. Um, yeah. I had to like move away from it quickly because I was thinking I, I can't use my Sony again if I keep on looking through this EVF. It was it was yeah. that much better. They're huge though those cameras. Yeah, enormous, and that's a real real problem. But uh, yeah. That's the S S one R, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely camera, just mass, unnecessarily massive, in my opinion. Yeah. See, I, I disagree there. <laughs> my, my problem with mirrorless, I, I I know mirrorless is kind of taking over, and there's lots of benefits. Is that you, by this time you've sort of added all your lenses and things, they become really front heavy. And the, out of all of the ones I've seen, the S one R just feels the most substantial and sort of balanced, if that makes sense. So you've you've you have held that camera. Yeah, right. I, 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 I remember I was, it was at the photography show a couple of years ago, and people like saying, "Have you have you felt the the the, the Panasonic?" And I was thinking, you know, they were saying, "Oh, it's really big, it's really heavy." And I was thinking, "Yeah, yeah, but I like a camera with a bit of heft." I always, yeah, I always have. Um, I don't actually use it anymore, but I always used to use a, a grip. I, I've, I've got a grip for my Sony, um, and uh, so I'm thinking, is... yeah, I want a decent sized one and all this kind of stuff, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, and then and then I went over there and I picked the thing up and I thought, oh, this really is big and heavy, and no. it was just too, it was just too much. But I I I, I just it's weird this obsession with miniaturization i I, it just annoys me because you end up with cameras with shitty battery life they overheat Mm. like crazy they're really flimsy and by the time you put good glass on them they're really front heavy i i I really don't get it It, it's like but but that's 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 fine but that that camera it reminds me of one of those camera things where they put a bit of weight (laughs) at the bottom of them you know to make it make it feel with a color lens exactly yeah it's the same thing they're made by the same people i'm sure I love a camera with heft. It's just, I mean, you know, 
you you fire the shutter. It's like some of these cameras I've tried. I've tried some of the signs, and you fire the shutter. You you move the camera. It, it just really annoys me. You need a bit of damping and just a bit of mass in the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that makes sense. But again, this specifically this email, this dude is using Leica lenses, right? So if you're <laughs> yeah. using range rangefinder lenses, you put them on a body Tiny. the size of an S one. That's going to be ridiculous because yeah. it has the opposite problem. So yeah. I agree. Like I, in, my, in my opinion, the the thickness of the camera um and the length of the lens the closer they are to equivalent the more the 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 better yeah um so because that to me like is what a perfectly balanced camera feels like right um but yeah again i mean if he's using leica lenses um especially with the question at the end about exif like m10 handles exif pretty nicely if you're using mostly leica lenses because you just select the lens um and and yeah it's 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 obvious, man. You need an. I'm more and more convinced you need an M10, John. It's probably not the answer you wanted. Start saving up. Hmm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and oh, by the way, if you like big chunky cameras, you, you gotta you gotta get yourself one of these. I actually, annoyingly, I nearly bought one last year, and then um, beginning of last year, and the prices have just shot up now. So oh, have they? Up. Yeah. Yeah, oh, they've gone damn. crazy. Wait, like what, what kind of what kind of ballpark? Oh, Sorry, this I is was a, gonna say for the benefit of our listeners. Top, top Ari. Yeah. Or was it a Super uh, D I was looking at, I think. They're the same thing. Uh, Super yeah, D and yeah. Ari Super. Yeah. yeah. Um everything I don't know what's happening in the UK. Well, I, obviously it's the B word, uh, Brexit, but camera just even just work a day cameras, point and shoot, everything has shot up. I've realized that I've I've got drawers and drawers behind me of cameras. All these points and shoots, and they're yeah. worth daft money now. It's 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 gone crazy because what's happening now is people don't want to ship. There's a big confusion about shipping, about mm-hmm. the costs at the you know at the receiver's end of VAT, bloody bloody blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And so, in essence, what I've gathered is to it it to buy a camera. Um, it it kind of makes sense to if you're in the UK, for example, just to buy it from the UK. If you're buying from right. anywhere else, there's going to be hidden charges. So in the same way, you know, if you're in the UK, you buy a camera from uh, Japan, there's 20% added generally when you um, at this end. Um, and I think that's happening with everywhere now. So mm-hmm. everywhere is Japan. So everything is top mint now. <laughs> top mint oh, plus, a- plus plus plus. <laughs> That's a shame because this. I know Simon doesn't like this camera. It's gorgeous. It, it, it's like gorgeous, it. and it has the nicest feeling uh, advanced lever of any SLR. Oh, it's that's just, beautiful! It's like it's M3 like. This is yeah, so, yeah, it looks very like it. Yeah, it's yeah, just, it's gorgeous. So anyway, it's a little recommendation of heft. <laughs> All right, can't be um, Two more. Uh, the next one is quite short. Uh, this is from Aaron Alfano, January 25th, um, subject assembly slash disassembly of Pentax Takumar lenses. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I hope this email finds you well. I've assembled a nice set of Pentax M42 mount lenses, including all the ones Johnny recommended on a recent episode, 28.3.5, 35.3.5, 51.4, and 105.2.8. Unfortunately, I bought the 35 sight unseen and did not examine it closely enough to return it in time. Shame on me. Turns out the lens is filthy inside. Tons of dust and what appears to be fine hairs. Yuck. I've asked a couple of well-known Pentax repair shops for a quote to clean and repair this lens, though the cost is far more than the cost of just buying a cleaner copy of the lens. I was wondering if you could point me any to any sources for instructions on disassembling 
cleaning and reassembling this particular lens. I would be grateful for any help you can provide as I really like the tiny size and lightweight of the lens and would like to get it back into service. Thanks again for your great podcast. Best Aaron Alfano. Oof. Mm. So dude, the tiny hairs, uh, fine hairs, that sounds like fungus, first of all. Right. Yeah. But that was, I mean, that's my assumption. That was my, that a yeah. Unless they're tiny hairs, of course. <laughs> like tiny. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I, I've never seen a, a lens with multiple hairs in it to like to constitute a problem. I've seen hair in a lens, but it's usually a singular, yeah. uh, singular hair. Uh, man, that's a tricky one. You know, like I, I don't know how to disassemble a 35 3.5. Um, but my inclination is if, if it's not affecting the image quality, then just, just leave it. Um, especially if it's the inner elements, you know, give the outer elements a good clean. Um, if you really don't care about the lens, I guess you could sort of try to take it apart and remove the rear element. I do that all the time. Like I take out the front and rear groups to, to clean them. But if you're going in between elements, uh, you need a service guide to do that or, um, or just live with it. It probably won't be that bad. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, I've got nothing specific really. I, I pretty much agree with what you've just, just said there. Yeah. Plus, you know, there, there are, I, I have lenses that are in awful condition as well. Um, and, and sort of unsalvageable and actually sometimes it's fun to use them. Um, so what, what I would say, cause they can give you like a low contrast look, they can give you interesting flare effects. Um, I would say if it's, if it's unsalvageable, um, number one, try to ascertain whether or not it actually makes a difference to the image. And if it does make a difference to the image and you really like that lens, I would just buy another one because it's, it's a pretty cheap lens anyway. So you can have the kind of crappy one for special effects and then the nice one for normal shooting because it's going to be cheaper than getting it repaired. Yeah. Um, and if you try to fix it yourself, you'll probably destroy it. Okay. Uh, the final email, I think I'm going to hand over to Anil to read. Yeah, this email is from me. It was uh, sent on Tuesday, December the 22nd. And if I recall, I was uh, walking back from Brighton, having had a few nips of Jameson whiskey in my camera bag. Um, so here we go. As we near the end of the cluster f that has been 2020, I'm driven to reflect upon the past 12 months. As I write this email, yes, I'm walking the streets of Brighton, listening to the three of you talking all things camera, interspersed with random nonsense. Your podcast has become a big part of my life this year, keeping my mind occupied as I wander the streets with a camera, trying to avoid thinking not trying to avoid thinking too hard about things. I've shot a lot less film this year because it's so expensive and also because I've been focusing my efforts on getting more professional commissions. So the DSLRs have taken prominence over the film cameras. Though I have made a few random camera and lens purchases following your conversations. In particular, I've enjoyed using the Konica Auto Reflex, which Johnny has waffled on about in the past. It's a beautiful, shiny, heavy beast. I would just like to say thank you for helping me stay sane and entertained this year and wish you all a happy Christmas. Keep up the fantastic work. You're shooting the animal mystery. Kissy kiss. <laughs> Yeah, that was a little heartfelt moment. I, I it's uh, I, just uh, you three guys have just such a great sort of dynamic between you, uh, and it's always been really enjoyable just to listen to you talk about lenses at such a deep level. Where I'll, I'll, partly my mind, my eyes glaze over, 
but at the same time, it's done in such an entertaining way um, and such a, an insightful and uh, educated way uh, that it's always always great to listen to. Um, so thank you, fellas. Have you, Much sure you, appreciated. You sure you've been listening to the right podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's usually when uh, Perry and Johnny kick off and, and then Simon <laughs> gets stuck on a particular point and won't move. It's, uh, yeah, very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, th- thank you for, the, the, for that, Anil. And I, th- I think, you know, before we get into the half-frame stuff, the thing that jumps out for me here is, like, the reflecting on 2020. Yeah. And it, one thing I was thinking about the other day is, is, to me, one of the things that makes 2020 particularly strange um, and perhaps distressing is there was this inherent tension throughout the year where it felt like a lot of stuff was going on in the world. Um, but in our own individual lives, like jack shit is happening because we're all sitting at home, not trying not to die. And so, you know, I think a lot of us sort of turned to uh, immersing ourselves in the happenings of the world around us, um, of which we have no direct participation because we're staying at home. We're going out in mask when we do go out. And unfortunately, the world around is, you know, w- was kind of shitty last year, too. And so that inherent tension of like individual nothingness and... W- excessive immersion in the external primarily internet driven world for for me at least was like a massive source of tension and i'm hoping this year you know the the a sense of normality whether we ever get it is less of uh, less of that looking outwards on things you can't control and more of a just like you know how can i use my own time and my own life that's sort of blurring into this March 2020 flood of time uh, in a more maybe productive and adaptive way. Yeah, there was was a really famous uh, phrase, the banality of evil, you know, how the the sickest, darkest people on the, you know, throughout history have also been incredibly boring. And I sort of thought the banality of fear, it's, it's, last year was so weird and so is this year. But as you said, there, there was, really major shit going down and no one knows where it's going to go uh on so many levels we were all stuck at home and yet we're all just baking bread or doing just dumb shit and whatever everyone was doing in every country um so uh one one of the projects i was working on for another client um i started working in virtual events and developing virtual events for people like twitter um and sort of other brands like that and um i was working for twitter singapore and apparently a big thing there was uh, over in the UK, it was all about baking sourdough bread. Over in uh, Singapore, it was about ba- making a particular kind of noodle dish. Uh, but everyone had their little bit of uh, banality uh, locally. But um, And the hardest thing was just to try and keep yourself occupied. And the, I mean, for personally, the challenge I found was to keep shooting uh, and to keep busy. And it almost became in a way, a form of automatic exercise, as opposed to thinking, oh, I really feel like shooting, because frankly, every morning I woke up, I didn't feel like doing anything. I just felt like thinking, what the fuck is going on? I've got no money coming in. Um, What the hell is going on with the world? Um, So you just had to, frankly, just keep yourself occupied. And I just had to, uh, essentially, that's why I just started, and I'm doing it now, I walk a lot. um, And I just keep myself physically engaged. 
uh, and sometimes just shoot on almost automatic, just take a camera for something to do and to keep my mind occupied and look through that viewfinder. But it's become, you know, a form of therapy for me. Um, and yes, it's creative. And sometimes I'll spend a day with a camera and not shoot a single thing, but I've got the camera with me. And it's just like this little friend there. So it's photography is taking on a more therapeutic sort of meaning beyond the artistic thing and the financial thing. It's, it's, it's become a, a, a deeper and more important thing in my life. So it's, it's been a very, very strange time. Yeah, but, but I mean, it is, it's interesting because it is important to find, um, you know, a way to keep yourself occupied. And, and for me, it's been the opposite. I always carry a camera around and I just really haven't been shooting recently. Um, for various reasons, but you know, there's a time for doing, there's a time for idleness, but like doing begets more doing and idleness begets more idleness. Yeah. So I think in these times it's, it's particularly easy to get, get sunk into one or the other. And I I think on the one hand there there is a certain toxicity about expecting people to stay, you know, as productive and as busy, um, when there's this sort of chaotic pandemic going on where a little bit of downtime you know family time time for reflection is actually i think quite healthy but on the flip side if you let yourself spiral into idleness then you know it just everything becomes a, a constant stream of nothingness right and you don't want <laughs> well i was stuck in a house with my, my two sons uh who are now 21 and 18 and mm. they just sat there um no, really not wanting to be at home and so everything was really tense they were bored yeah. shitless and pretending to be you know taking part in all the things we were trying to do and stay entertained we got into a, a board game called Catan which oh is yeah sort of uh, yeah we started playing that and then we started mixing Catan with poker and creating poker related levels to Catan and everything got ridiculous uh and frankly everyone just wanted to be somewhere else so yeah <laughs> Um, it was just a nice distraction to get away with a camera, whether I was using it or not, and just do something else. But just to just hear other people, you know, talking about stuff. And I think that's what your your podcast did for me anyway. It just made things feel that there was a sense of normality and people still doing stuff and talking about their passions and not being affected by what was going on in the world. And I think, you know, most people found their interest somewhere like that in a way that they could carry on doing their thing. Uh but yeah, I, I've even now. If I, I just avoid thinking too deeply on anything, just just carry on, just just push through, basically, uh, and carry on. It's it's too much to take on, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I did get a nice camera out of it, thanks to Johnny. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, should I tell you about my Konica Auto Reflex? Yeah, so jo- Johnny's gone on about. Um, Again, the reason I bought this camera was also an economic reason. I, I still wanted to carry on shooting film, and I love half-frame cameras. So I have a number of, I have a half-frame uh, point-and-shoot. I've got a, uh, an Olympus Pen EE2. I have a oh, this tiny little plastic Russian thing that I still haven't been able to load for over three years, <laughs> and it sits there in a drawer, and it looks really cool. I've forgotten the name of it, but I'm going to find it. Hang on. Um, the SMEMA cameras or something? It's called the, 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 tiny, the, the Tiny Russian Plastic Bastard, I think I called it. <laughs> oh, it'll come to me in a minute anyway. But um, no, so Johnny was going on about the Konica Auto Reflex. And I, I, I've looked at a few Olympus pens um, in the past, but they're very hard to find now in good condition. They're getting, you know, yes. they're filled with fungus and they're in really, really shitty condition. 
Yes. Generally, they're all available from Japan. Japan is very humid and they're just full of crap. So I've stayed away. But um, Johnny mentioned the Konica Auto Reflex, which is essentially, it's a full-size SLR, but there's a lovely switch, big fat switch, uh, where you can switch from full to half frame. And these little blinds come in uh, over the film plane to change it. And you can actually change between full and half frame mid-roll as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and one turned up just at the end of last year uh, from a, a UK-based seller, and I bought one. And it's gorgeous. I think I wrote a little review on it for 30, uh, 35 MMC. Um, and it's, it's great. It's, it's uh, shutter priority, so you can um, set a shutter speed, and it will tell you your aperture. Uh, but it's built in such a beautifully sort of dense metal. Um, and it's a gorgeous camera. It's got, uh, on it is a Konica Hexanon 52mm 1.8. Yeah. Uh, and it gave me everything I wanted uh, with half frame, which I didn't have from the cameras I had before, which was essentially being able to focus and really, really okay. set up my shots. And it's been great going out with a, a 36 roll and getting 72 shots through a day. And, for me, the build quality really, really is special. It reminds me of uh, there's a camera I bought. I found a, a charity shop. Feels gorgeous. And I, I when you did your um, Topcon, the uh, the shutter lever on this camera, which is a Miranda. Uh, I'm not sure which model it is, but this I, I, I was in a charity shop and for three pounds I got this Miranda camera uh with all the fixings. It's got and it this thing feels so dense and so beautiful in terms of its engineering. I believe they were German. I think Miranda were famous for having very overtly sexy ads. Yes. Uh for their cameras in it's, the sixties. Japanese. Yeah. Japanese. Yeah. So apologies. Yeah. Um but I've got adapters as well for, you know, I think, M42 lenses from Jersey, I can't remember. I got all of Miranda, basically. Um, and it's a lovely camera, but there's something about these cameras made in the 60s. They're just, they, again, it was that era where there was no built in obsolescence. These things are made to last. Yeah. I, auto relax. I highly recommend it if you can find one. Um, they're generally a lot cheaper than. Uh, um, we, we're start, Anil, we're, we're starting to lose you a little bit now. We've just about kept up with what you're just saying there, but you're incredibly pixelated as well now. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh. The, uh, I'm going to switch Is off the oh. video to preserve bandwidth. Yeah, that might be a good idea. Uh, how do I do that? Uh, On the, right, you, video. Uh, I've turned off my camera. Is that better? It. Yeah. Where, where, where shall I come back in? What, what uh, no, no, no. It, it was oh, fine. Okay. It just started to break up. I think we're good. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, 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 um, that, that could all stay in. Don't worry about that. Yeah. What, uh, what, what lens Shall do you I... have on that Miranda? Uh, oh, on the Miranda, I've got Auto Miranda uh, 50mm 1.9. Uh, I've got a bunch of other lenses as well that came with it. But I, it's just so beautiful. And, and you can take the top off, look down thing as well. It's just such a gorgeous camera. Yeah. Uh, I've never used the thing, but it's in absolutely perfect, pristine condition. I mean, there's not a scratch on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Time. And this is the problem as well. You know, I get caught up in gas and I still have drawers and drawers for cameras I still haven't touched and used yet. So I've got to 
get my get my shit together and start trying other ones out before I start thinking of the next one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think those are some underrated lenses. Uh, the Miranda lenses. It's just oof, there's some good stuff there. Yeah, yeah, have you ever talked Miranda on one of your episodes? I don't think we have in a lot of detail, have we? No. Oh, there we go. I mean, certainly there, most, I, mean, I don't know how much detail we can go into, but I know that most of the uh, – well, this is a funny one in itself. But they, they, they teamed up with Soligor, um, hmm? which we generally think about. When we think about Soligor, we tend to think about uh, similar to like Vivitar. Uh, where they didn't, they would use all the manufacturers to, uh, and then the, the Soligor name would be attached to it. Um, yet, back in those days, they did actually make the lenses. Uh, yeah, yeah. I almost bought a Soligor 35 2.8 for Contax RF mount the other day. Um, just missed out. Like they, they, they made some good stuff. And the Miranda cameras, I think, before Soligor made their auto Miranda lenses, um, they had Zuno lenses for that mount. Hmm. Like. There's some cool stuff, you know. I don't know, Anil, if you've got any of the Zuno lenses with them, but but I think that's a hugely underrated um, lens system. I just, uh, again, in terms of feel, the, the sort of top cameras I own, uh, and I'd imagine they're probably available at quite a, a cheap rate online. Um, it, it's one of those brands that sort of is out of fashion or is underlooked. Well, it's it's also a brand that you know you. I don't think you can just easily go out and get yourself an adapter either. Um, they, they are available, um, uh, rare adapters on eBay. Uh, uh, that's eBay.com rather than uh, anywhere else. Uh, Ramir, um, he does he does them. Um, I don't know if there's any, any other people that do them. That, that uh, but yeah, you can you can you can get adapters for them. But like I say, you you just you have to go hunting for them. Yeah, I think I've got a Miranda to M42 levels. Oh no, it's the same lens. Five. Yeah, I've got exactly the same lens with slightly different. We're auto Miranda 1.9, five centimeters. One's an F equals 50 millimeters, just a different one's a European one, perhaps. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Jesus, I've got two copies of exactly the same lens. Nothing um, wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I just feel like we're about to go down the Miranda rabbit hole with uh, M40 uh, threads and things like that as well, which um, well, <laughs> we're going to have to do that another another time. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is this is actually the seeing that you know, we're only just hanging on to you at the moment, um, Anil. So I think what we'll do, we'll do a little bit of uh, uh, coffee announcements and things like that because we really need to catch up with sure. that. Um, so... Uh, we're going to go back in time because we were talking earlier on about how far back did we do since we last actually said thank you to anybody um, and we decided it was a long way so we need to go back a long way so if I've read some of these things out before I'm sorry about that but we just can't remember um, so I'd rather make sure we we uh, we catch everybody so um, 9th of December David Kaufman uh, thank you for providing a small uh, respite from uh, the stresses and worries of life um, that's playing out these days and also for the gas so uh, thank thank you david uh, thank you brian Woolworth. uh then there's burned from cologne uh, great show um keep practicing pronouncing holai 
right. Uh, I think I got that right, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, Jeremy North on the 12th of December says, uh, thanks for continuing mirth and occasional uh, occasional lens cut talk. Uh, we've done a fair bit on lens lenses today, which is good for us. Mm -hmm. um, then there's Gumboot Dave, uh, and he wrote on the 17th of December, um, I've only been listening for a few months, but you guys are my favourite podcast. And something about the mix of great information and dysfunctionality uh, that keeps me coming back. So uh, thank you very much there, Gumboot Dave. Uh, Christopher J. May, thank you. Mike Epstein, thank you again. Um, then Nigel Cliff, uh, great show this week. Uh, Clad, yeah, Clad is uh, so knowledgeable uh, about all things Soviet. Uh, been thinking about buying a Zenitar 60mm for some time now. Um, I need to get one. It's Vlad, not Clad. Vlad. Uh, uh, I thought he was uh, making a pun on CLA or something. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I think he's... Thinks he's <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, now that you read it that way, yes, yeah, yes it's, it's clearly... That's <laughs> it. So, uh, Gary Florjak, uh, thank you. Barry Carr, thank you. Uh, Randy Reed for you on Instagram uh, on this on the 31st of December. Um, and uh, Randy wrote, uh, great podcast, guys. Um, I and well, I think there's, I think it was uh, doing this on a on a phone. I enjoy I enjoy it uh, very much. Looking forward to 2021 and hearing your upcoming shows and. And uh, if you can, be like Cole. Well, thank you very much, Randy. Appreciate that. Um, then Lawrence Dunn, then Brian Woolworth again. Um, the coffee supporter, thank you, whoever you are. Um, Nigel Cliff again. Um, good to have you back after the break. Uh, an interesting and varied show as ever. Thank you. Uh, then we have Kai, who says, Welcome back, peeps. We were missed, it seems. Um, thank you for, uh, for a fun and gassy part, uh, past year. Stay well and keep up the good work. And uh, uh, and if you can, maybe weekly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll try to you know, bring them back. It's just been really difficult for us to get together. Um, and then Robert da uh, Danny, uh, welcome back. Um, and uh, hap happier new year ahead. Let's, let's hope so. And then again, Mike Epstein. And, and again, uh, Mike Florjak. Thank you very much, all of you. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry it's taken so long to say thank you to all those people as well. Um, Anul, are you, are you back again? I'm back. Yes, and you're sounding good. Um, Anul, thank you very, very much for being back on with us again. No, it's been a pleasure, guys. Yeah. Uh, really nice to chat to you again. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's been excellent, and and thanks for um, sharing with us your uh, your your new book, City by the Sea. Um, and where can people get that? Uh, if you go to fistfulofbooks.com, um, you can see it there. Or if you go to analmysteryphoto.com, there's a link there as well. That's it. And uh, you've got a. Uh, you mentioned there's a Facebook group uh, based around that as well, around Unusual Eye. Uh, yeah, if you go on Facebook and uh, type in Unusual Eye Photography or Unusual Eye, it will come up. That's it. And you can be found in other places too. So where, where else can people find the kind of things that you do? Uh, on Instagram, um, at Anil Mystery. That's A-N-I-L-M-I-S-T-R-Y. And on Twitter, at Anil Mystery. Oh, sorry, on Instagram, at photo at Anil Mystery. Uh, do you want to just re repeat that one? I think you just dropped out. Yeah, on Instagram at Anil Mystery Photo. That's A N I L 
M-I-S-T-R-Y photo and on Twitter at Animal Mystery. Fantastic. Um, have you got any shout outs you might want to give while you're here? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to give a, a shout out to uh, Simon Robinson at Fistful of Books uh, for being so helpful. And it's been nice to work with you. Secondly, just to the three of you guys for uh, being so great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, right then, Perry, um, how can people follow you? Uh, you can find me on Flickr and Instagram at Perry G. Uh, that is... I have just started reposting pictures again. I posted on Instagram for the first time in months yesterday. So hopefully I can keep that up. Um, and that's pretty much it. Excellent. Um, any shout outs? I do not have any shout outs this week. Okay. Um, I've got a shout out. And uh, because I was chatting to Eric Casluce, a friend of the show uh, earlier. Um, he who, uh, um, who was it? The, uh, the, the New York Red Sox his big team something like that anyway they're all the same anyway um, so, um, so he's a big big fan of that, that football team or whatever they are um, so mm -hmm. yeah great uh, thanks for that little chat we had earlier um, and uh, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic which is also the name of my website where you can buy lots of lens caps and I'm doing more and more lens caps and flexible caps that go on the front and they'll go over um, Mamiya TLR lenses and things like that so uh, that's a good place for that I'm also on Instagram, on eBay as well but going via my site especially if you're international you get a better deal on the post uh, generally and sometimes a better discount as well um, also I'm on Twitter as Simon4 um, I also do another podcast called the Large Format Photography Podcast um, that goes out every two weeks or so um, so yeah that's pretty much it uh, so once more thank you very much Anil you're very welcome cheers guys and uh, and thank you Perry as well and that's it for this week's show our music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com um, it's called October Blues and that's it so hope you've enjoyed this week's show and if you can be like Carl <laughs>